Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the astrology of September of 2023. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and Steph Koifman. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so Hello. much. Hey, all right. So first, I'm going to take a look and do a quick overview of the astrology of the month, looking at the calendar. Then we're going to spend about an hour talking about news and other events that have happened over the past month since our last astrology forecast to sort of catch things up on how the astrology has played out. Then in the second hour, we're going to look at the astrology of September and look forward to the future. So as always, there will be timestamps on the podcast website if you just want to jump forward to different parts of the episode. Uh, but otherwise, let's go ahead and jump right into it by pulling out the planetary alignments calendars, which this first one shows where the planets will start at the beginning of the month of September, and then where they'll end up in the signs of the zodiac by the end of September. So here's the other planetary alignments calendar. And our first astrological events of the month is that Venus is slowing down and finishing her retrograde phase, and she's getting ready to station direct in the sign of Leo on September 3rd. Then the following day, on September 4th, Jupiter stations retrograde in the sign of Taurus. Two days later, we get the halfway point in a Mercury retrograde cycle that the month opens with, where Mercury is retrograde in Virgo, and it will conjoin the Sun on September 6th. The following week, we have a new moon in the sign of Virgo on the 14th. Then Mercury stations direct and ends its three-week retrograde period on the 15th. The Sun moves into Libra on the 23rd, and then we get our second lunation of the month, which is a full moon in the sign of Aries on the 29th of September. So that's some of the astrology, just a preview of the astrology we're going to be talking about later in the episode. Um, but first things first, let's welcome both of you. Steph, thanks for joining us again. This is actually your second forecast. You did uh, the last one a couple of years ago, I think, right? Uh, it was last May, actually. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's exciting to do another forecast. You've been talking about some good Venus retrograde news I've seen on Twitter over the past two weeks. So I wanted to have you join us for this one. Uh, Austin, welcome. How's the Venus retrograde treating you currently? Good enough. Good enough. Okay. Good enough. That's, that is pretty high marks, actually. For some people, this retrograde not going as well, uh, but we'll talk about that. Why don't we first start by jumping right into the news and talking about some of the stuff that's been happening over the course of the past month. Um, so in terms of news stories, one of the major things that I know both you and I had noticed, Steph, was there was some media outlets that have been calling this the summer of breakups uh, mm -hmm. with the Venus retrograde that's been happening over the course of the past month or so. There was this point at one point in the retrograde, especially like early and halfway through, it seemed like every other day there was a new celebrity breakup that was was announced, it seemed like, right? Yeah, I think the point for me came when The Cut published an article titled, It's a Great Summer to Break Up, and I just had to laugh. Um, but if you actually read it, they do they do give like one line to Venus Retrograde, like, ooh, could it be that it's, uh, you know, written in the stars? But I think they have, you know, they have an astrologer on staff writing for them. Yeah, well, so. and then there's there's other ones like I read like a People article and there's like a Vogue article. Um, Austin sent me a BuzzFeed article that was like 26 couples who broke up this summer that proved that love is officially dead, buried and gone was the the title of that, which very subtle title, but um, I think it was still conveying something that was something was going on that I think a lot of people were noticing in terms of that and in terms of some people's experience of the Venus retrograde. 
Yeah. And actually there was this something funny that I saw that apparently, I don't know how big of a trend it is, but uh, some people on TikTok are making videos that are like, well, apparently everyone's breaking up this summer. So I have to take precautions and it shows them locking their partner in a closet. Okay. That's a good, that's a good idea. I think that's, that's one, I think that that's in actually some of the ancient like cuneiform Mesopotamian texts about mm -hmm. Venus retrogrades. That's the propitiation ritual. Yeah. So it's like the substitute King ritual, but for your, your, for boyfriend your partner. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's one aspect of the Venus retrograde. And some of the names were just like, it was like Britney Spears, Ariana Grande, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada split up Kevin Costner, Natalie Portman, just like long, long list of, of celebrities that were breaking up. Um, so that was kind of crazy. Um, in other news though, because I think Venus retrograde, even though that's one aspect of things, sometimes it gets a bad rap because there were other people where the Venus retrograde just acts as an important turning point for relationships. And sometimes there were you know, notable proposals or other things like that, that I saw with different friends. Um, actually, friend of the podcast, Joe Gleason, announced that she got uh, the engaged, basically, and she has Leo rising. And so this Venus retrograde is going through her first house. So that was like a really, um, you know, good one close to home. Similarly, um, Barack Obama was in the news where some like old letters that were written from and that he wrote to like an ex or back and forth with an ex-girlfriend um, resurfaced and people were talking about them, which is really notable because he has Aquarius rising. So Venus went retrograde in his seventh house of relationships. And one thing that was interesting about that is it led me to go back and research his past history. And I found that he actually proposed to Michelle Obama the day that Venus stationed retrograde in 1991. Um, hmm. And that was this same retrograde cycle. So it was a retrograde that would station in Virgo and then retrograde back into his seventh house of relationships in Leo. So that's a good um, example, I feel like, or a good one to keep in mind that even though Venus retrograde can sometimes be challenging for relationships, for some people, you know, it's just a very important turning point in relationships. And it's not always necessarily a deal breaker if something important happens under Venus retrograde. Yeah. yeah. Also worth sure. noting is that he's a Leo, like son and Leo. Right. Yeah. I have yeah. a friend who's in Aquarius rising and this summer she and her husband, like without going into too much detail, like they're basically just in like phase two of their marriage and it's a good thing. Like they're enjoying themselves. Um, nice. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean the Venus retrograde, you know, as we've, uh, as we've discussed pretty extensively, um, is a journey through the like the underworld or the deeper parts of a relationship and you know if they're hidden if they're hidden deal killers or there are things that are serious points of friction or conflict or whatever like those will get revealed um but journeying through, like doing a review of that layer of the relationship doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find things that weren't there before right it's just if there are things there um, then the relationship will have to deal with them, but it doesn't create those things, right? If you look at those stories, it's, oh, blah, 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 uh, did this a year ago and I didn't know about it. And so then that gets revealed and the, the impact of that, um, you know, come, uh, moves outward, right? But the, the Venus retrograde most of the time doesn't create, um, it, uh, doesn't create the relationship event. It, it, what the Venus retrograde brings is a rediscovery or a review 
um, of some problematic stuff or some points of contention. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. Um, and I, I realized like part of the astronomical phenomenon with the retrograde of Venus, and I think one of the reasons why it can sometimes be associated with splits is because in the middle of the Venus retrograde, um, the sun and Venus come together and conjoin, but then they immediately start moving in opposite directions. So there's this like wrenching apart motion astronomically between the two of them. Whereas when Venus is direct and conjoins the sun, what happens is you see these two planets um, literally running in parallel for a period of time, moving in the same direction in the zodiac, almost at the same pace for a while when Venus is direct, but it's really the retrograde one where they're sort of like come together and at a cross point, but then they end up going in opposite directions. Yeah, I heard your um your description of that when you recorded with Kira. Like I was I listened to a bit of that and like that was really um something really clicked for me when you said that. Yeah. Well I feel like I've gotten a much better I've done all these Venus retrograde episodes this summer. I feel like it's been the summer where I've come to a much deeper understanding of Venus retrograde than I had before, especially doing that episode on Anana with Demetra and just showing that in the very very earliest strata of our astrological tradition at like 2000 to 3000 BCE, they had these um, myths that encoded really important astrological information about things like the Venus retrograde cycle. Um, and when we just put some of that down and just started to understand the astronomy better, it started to make sense of some of the events we were seeing in the world around us in terms of some of the different news stories and other things that were happening this summer. Um, yeah, did you feel like you got any new insights out of this retrograde, Austin? Um, I, I've been been a student of the Venus retrogrades for some time. I, um, I definitely understand this one, right? And that's important because this is one of five, right? And this right. has happened before and this will happen again. <laughs> um, you know, we, uh, uh, we discovered quite, quite a bit uh, about how many people were linked to this and um, what the themes tend to be. Um, I had, uh, I had a, a pretty cliche event recently with the Venus retrograde in my second, right? So it's uh, Venus retrograde in the sign, the single sign represented by a cat. And so I've had two super sick cats that cost a shitload of money, right? Because we had to take them to like a kitty hospital and it's double cats and they're both miserable. And I have to give them pills. <laughs> um, cats really like it when you force things into their mouth. That's, you know, pro tip for anybody who's thinking about getting cats. Uh, they really like that. And so I was like, oh, yeah, uh, unhappy cats costing way more money, way more uh, than it should. If you've ever been to like emergency cat hospital, it's uh, it's exciting. Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, Venus retrograde in Leo in the sign of the lion uh, thing, unhappy cats. Uh, speaking of unhappy cats, that actually reminds me one of the Venus retrograde things recently was, you know, the Venus retrograde in Leo was in Trump's first house. And then that that mugshot came out of him not looking super happy. And I just thought there was something very literal about that of a Venus retrograde in a person's first house mm -hmm. and like a notable news story about their appearance, about a photo being taken of them and that that's a news story in and of itself is a very literal manifestation. 
Yeah, and with this Venus retrograde in Leo having so much to do with uh, visibility and invisibility and, you know, therefore lighting, right? Like what's, what's seen and can't be seen, right? A mugshot is generally, um, I think we could uh, agree, is unflattering light, um, mm -hmm. both the implications as well as, I think the lighting setup isn't great. Um, people tend to <laughs> not get their not get their angles uh, sure. during in a mugshot. Another thing that I another Venus retrograde theme connected to Trump was that there was the the big Republican event, um, and Trump, who, as I understand it, is uh, has the most support within the Republican Party, was absent, and so this echoed to me big movies opening without their stars promoting, and so we have you know the star of the show in a variety of senses, being conspicuously absent, right? Like that's, that's been a big theme for this uh, Venus retrograde that like sure. playing with the dynamics that you usually see with like Venus and Leo and, and it's about visibility, but really like playing with that in lots of different permutations, right? Like what if you can't see what's supposed to be the most visible part of something, right? Or casting it in a different light in a criminal light or, you know, what I, or whatever. Totally. Yeah. And that's still connected to the ongoing, ongoing like Venus retrograde and the actors and writers guild strikes. Um, and I just heard like terrible news yesterday that um, Dune part two was just delayed from a November release to like March due to due to that whole thing. So that's oh, another yeah, so many shows. I, I know. So that is one of the victims of the Venus retrograde is that but hopefully those negotiations will go well and will be renegotiated favorably for everybody involved since it seems like that's that's long overdue um in other news uh chenny who i just had on the show for the last episode recently referred to this as the summer of women as well and there was a post um that either she or somebody shared on instagram from an account called elvest for like um women investing and it was calling this quote the summer of women causing economic earthquakes which I thought had a very Venus retrograde and Leo square Uranus vibe and cited in that were things like the huge Beyonce and Taylor Swift concerts that were just drawing huge numbers of fans uh, as well as generating revenue, obviously. I thought it was interesting that the Taylor Swift uh, concert, that the tour was called the Eras Tour because it's like a look back and a retrospective on all, the different, all of her different eras, which is a very Venus retrograde. Um, similarly, along that, um, the Barbie movie became an unexpected summer hit, which is a very Venus stationing in, in Leo square Uranus, and it made more than $1.3 billion and ended up being the biggest opening for a woman director in history, uh, which is really striking. Chani actually mentioned on the last episode that somebody from the Barbie like marketing team reached out and they said that astrology may have played some role in the marketing or the timing, which was a big question that a lot of us had last month, because obviously it being released literally like the day Venus was stationing retrograde in Leo was so striking astrologically. And we weren't sure if that was like deliberate or if that just arose naturally. But that's one of the things, you know, as astrologers, that's tricky is that we, we get used to seeing both that sometimes we see astrologers you know, picking things out deliberately to match the transits. And other times we see things just happening organically that fit what's happening in the sky at that time. So it's sometimes hard to, to know the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're suggesting that it was intentional. I mean, Chenny said, you know, obviously there's a lot of factors involved. So just like one astrologer, whoever was working on it, couldn't, you know, be the sole deciding person in terms of picking out everything and, and making mm -hmm. everything revolve around that but that 
at the very least, that may have been some consideration that went into things at some point. So, you know, that's not a lot, but it's interesting. It's, some, it's something. It's interesting. You know, maybe we'll find out more at some point in the future. I know we learned years later that there was an astrologer working for Fox in the 1970s and that the release date of the first Star Wars movie was actually elected by an astrologer, just mm. like a fam famous bit of, of trivia. So I'm sure there's other movies like that that we may you know, never find out about, or we may find out about someday that astrologers had a greater hand in. And it just raised this point that Chenny and I talked about how, you know, we as astrologers, we put out these forecasts and these elections and predictions and other stuff, but you never really know exactly who's listening. And sometimes there's more people listening to it or, or different people listening to it than you, than you realize or ever find out about. Yeah. yeah, well, and, you know, between, um, between this was intentionally elected, and no, it wasn't there, the, you know, the question, it sounds like this is what may have happened, um, was, was there astrological input? Because um, I remember, like, 10 years ago, maybe when I was living in LA, um, one of the dudes in my Kung Fu class was a pretty successful uh, writer of horror movies. And he was like, oh, what do you think? Like, what do you, my, the movie's coming out, you know, on X date. Like, what do you think about that? And we just sat and talked about it for a little bit. And it wasn't an official consultation. And I don't think they moved the movie <laughs> based on that conversation. Um, but <clears throat> the ease, and this person wasn't even into astrology, but the ease with which that happened and the, you know, the, the general attitude of the entertainment industry, it's not viciously anti-astrology you know it's it's show business it's you know it's artists and the people who market artists um you know they're not um like hardline materialists sure that's definitely true and then the, and then there's all are always so many other factors involved like with that one it was weird because barbie and oppenheimer were released on the same day but then there was kind of possible like venus retrograde element to that because christopher nolan prior to that, who directed Oppenheimer, had always released all his movies with Warner Brothers. But then in 2020, when they released his movie Tenant to streaming pretty early on, he was pretty enraged and he kind of badmouthed them in the press. And then he switched to a new studio. So this movie, Oppenheimer, was his first time being with a new studio. And coincidentally, he set you know, his movie to be released on the 21st. And then coincidentally, his old studio released this huge blockbuster movie on the same day as his competing with it. So there were speculations about whether that was like deliberate on the studio's part is his like his ex basically kind of like getting him back in a way, which is very kind of Venus retrograde. -y. Yeah. Oh, speaking yeah. of Venus retrograde and the the quality of like reviewing things or bringing up old shit. Um, there was a documentary released on Netflix recently going back over the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Okay. Right. Which is literally like, let, let's take another deep look at like a, um, <laughs> at the horrific dissolution of a marriage, which was extremely public in the first place. And then I think that was like a year ago. And then just literally like going back through it all. Because that's, you know, that's a, that, and that's very much a quality of Venus retrogrades. Sometimes it's going through um, a really intense thing, but um, similar or very often it's going back over something like go, you know, going, going to that under layer and then being like, oh, there are all sorts of unresolved feelings about this, you know, and we have the, you know, that, that sort of Venus retrograde cliche of, um, 
you know, rethinking old relationships and sometimes um, sometimes people going back to going back uh, to people they were with before. Yeah, or like exes reaching out to you. I've seen like a bunch of those on Twitter and social media. Interestingly, sometimes from relationships that ended four years ago, I kept in my research this summer seeing a bunch of fours coming up in addition to the eights. And I later realized that that's because of the synodic conjunction with Venus. That's the halfway point. So if Venus made a retrograde conjunction uh, with the sun in the middle of August this summer, that means exactly four years ago, on the almost the same day, Venus made a direct conjunction with the sun. Um, so there's sometimes connections, not just in eight-year increments, which are very obvious with the retrogrades, but also in four-year increments. Yeah. And also just um, something I thought of when you were talking about the Oppenheimer movie, like there was kind of like this meta thing happening with the X. I noticed something similar with the Barbie movie where Barbie, the Barbie movie itself was very Venus retrograde coded, but now apparently women are breaking up with their boyfriends because of how they reacted to the Barbie movie, you know, just like, like, uh, apparently like someone was watching it and the boyfriend's like, are you crying? Like they, he didn't understand like why she was so deeply moved. And so the movie itself is exposing like the gap between people's worldviews. Um, and apparently now on TikTok, people are saying like, oh, um, women are going to use, what do you think of Barbie as a litmus test for dating? Yeah, well, I, I saw a lot of that too, because sometimes I know like Lisa saw it and she said afterwards that she went into the theater and there was this like older couple and there's like this woman, she was like decked out in pink um, <laughs> and she was all excited. And then there was this older guy, her husband she was with, and then Lisa was sitting there. And then halfway through the movie, she heard the husband like snoring um, in the middle of the movie <laughs> And then um, afterwards, she ran into them in the lobby, and the and the husband like said something like, uh, "What do you think of the movie?" or something like that. And then Lisa was like, "I thought it was great." And he's like, uh, "Yeah, that Margot Robbie, she's pretty attractive, huh?" And <laughs> and um, Lisa was like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And she just thought that was such a meta sort of like th thing about the entire movie. So I I could see how it would be raising a lot of those discussions because so much of the movie was about men not doing good things and, and patriarchy and some of the issues with it and then but then sometimes there were some men even watching the movie that didn't get it uh afterwards or, and yeah or sorry what were you going to say i cut you off uh no yeah. I, that was pretty much it um i was also going to say that like even if um even beyond the issue of like not understanding why that movie might be moving or significant to a woman um there are men who like you know, just can't be bothered to, you know, just sort of feign interest for a couple hours to watch a movie that might be important to their partner when probably their girlfriend sat through all three of the Godfather trilogy with them, you know. Right, for sure. And I think that was the biggest thing is like, you know, that movie was definitely driven by women. And that was one of the reasons why it was such a huge success. Um, so there's something notable about that, you know, this summer that really stands out. Um, yeah, so that was the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer. I want to mention briefly. No, actually, I won't. There's, there's another Oppenheimer fact, but I'm going to skip that. Um, there were some scandals and controversies uh, with the Venus retrograde, of course, as with any Venus retrograde. One of the ones that's ongoing right now is that um, the women's soccer team from Spain won the World Cup on August 20th, uh, but the celebrations were marred in a controversy. Um, when the Spanish Soccer Federation's chief, um, who was a, a, a man, gave an unsolicited kiss on the lips to the star player 
um, of the soccer team on the women's soccer team named Jenny Hermoso. So there was a, a bunch of like drama and controversy that ensued. And right now the entire um, soccer team is now saying they will not play unless this guy resigns or is removed as the head. Um, and I thought that was another Venus retrograde thing. I looked up um, Hermoso's chart and she, uh, Venus was at 16 Leo on the day that that happened retrograde and it was squaring her Pluto, which is at 16 Scorpio. Um, and her son, which is at 18 Taurus. So I thought that was a very like um, Venus retrograde square Pluto type transit to have. And that's something that's kind of like ongoing and happening. And it was one of many sort of Venus retrograde controversies that happened this summer. Yeah, they're everywhere. And, you know, inside, um, inside the like, I don't know, 30 some celebrity breakups, some of those look like they're going to drag on for months, if not years and seem extremely complicated and unpleasant and financially, you know, insane, um, you know, like, uh, and, you know, lots of uh, often when sometimes people, you know, sometimes people do uh, what did uh, Gwyneth Paltrow call it, a conscious uncoupling, but usually mm -hmm. there are reasons Right. And the reasons are not usually uh, virtuous behavior. Right. And that shit comes out. Um, you know, that's that's one of the themes. That's a great the, keyword. That's a great keyword for the sun, Venus, the retrograde Venus and sun separating from each other. A conscious uncoupling. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I would say in this case, like loud, contentious. Yeah. Very conscious. It's not accidental. Um, but yeah, the Venus, you know, because it's in Leo, everything's just louder. Yeah. Loud was one of our keywords for uh, in like June or something before yeah. the retrograde started. And I thought Loud, it was really funny. Scandal. Escondolo. What's funny yeah. is, yeah, I ended up using Escondolo as inspired by Drag Race, right, which is just Spanish for scandal. And we have we we have a, an Escondolo in Spain. Yeah, well, in loud was one of our keywords, but I thought it was funny then that like when the Barbie came out, like hot pink became like one of like the colors of the summer that you were seeing everywhere. And what is like the loudest color than than hot pink? So probably some thing. kind of orange might be the only competitor. Orange, some kind of okay. really obnoxious orange. <laughs> really or obnoxious like orange. Or like neon green. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. All right, all right. Well, but we'll no, I mean, see. like, but no, your your point stands. Like, hot pink is up there. Yeah, well, that uh, orange, uh, annoying orange makes me think of some other news stories. But let's talk <laughs> about there's another one um, that was actually really important that connects to one from earlier this summer, um, where the head of the, the Wagner group that led the Russian rebellion in June um, is highly speculated. He, he died in a plane crash, which is everyone is speculating that he was assassinated, basically. And this was connected with the Russian rebellion that happened on June 23rd that we talked about so much because it was in the early phases of um, some of the Venus retrograde that was building up. And um, there was a connection that actually you and me and Austin were, were researching and that you noticed between the day it happened and the rebellion, right, Austin? Yeah, the um, so we don't have a time, but we have a we at least have a, a date for Evgeny Prigozhin. And um, he has Mars, Uranus, and Leo. And the on the day of the mutiny, half coup, whatever we want to call it, uh, in June, on June 23rd, uh, Venus in the shadow of the retrograde was conjunct his Mars. And, 
and then his plane blew up mid-sky on August 23rd with Venus retrograde exactly conjunct as Mars, right? So we, we see Venus at least as one of the triggers here um, and on Mars, which makes sense. Like Mars Uranus is a rebellious energy, so it's not surprising um, that that was part of the trigger for the, the rebellion. Um, and then um, Mars is also violence. Um, we don't, uh, from, from the, from what I, I can see, it's, um, it looks like it was a bomb on the plane. There was initial speculation that it might've been shot down with a surface to air missile. Um, but the plane exploded, right. And Mars, like, you know, Mars Uranus is literally exploding, especially in fire signs. Yeah. We had talked about, I think on the last episode, Mars Uranus and how the, uh, dropping of the atomic bomb was mm -hmm. a Mars Uranus conjunction, for example, or how that's one of the signatures in the US chart. Um, but that's so striking that he had that Mars Uranus conjunction in his chart, and then it was activated by Venus, and that Venus was exactly conjunct his Mars, both when he did the rebellion and then later on the other side of the retrograde when he was apparently assassinated as a result of the rebellion or in retribution, um, you know, allegedly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and um, when you, you can't perfect from the Ascendant, but if you perfect from the sun, it's a Leo year for him as well. Emphasizing, uh, further emphasizing the Mars Uranus, right. Did a lot of fighting this year. Um, did a little, did a little, uh, did a little rebellion and did a little exploding in the sky, right? Like certainly that, that area was active. Yeah. And in terms of like the Venus phases, the rebellion was on the like you know, morning star or evening star phase of Venus, right? Yeah, yeah. the The evening star descending rapidly into the west, right? Like, yeah, just plummeting towards the old underworld, but not so there yet. It was a good example of how it's like sometimes some events happen earlier in the the early portion of the Venus retrograde when it's in the evening star phase, and then sometimes the result or the outcome becomes manifest later on the other side of the retrograde when it's a morning star. Um, so it's just those two phases of Venus that become so important uh, in that. And it's kind of like, it's what I call like the, the evening star phase is the like fuck around phase of the Venus retrograde and the morning star phase is the find out phase in some instances, not always, but in this instance, I feel like that's kind of what we, what we're seeing here. Well, I mean, if we were just like doing, <laughs> you're doing transits for Pagosian, you're sitting down with him and be like, okay, so this Venus retrograde, it's going to be kind of a big deal. Um, it's going to go over your Venus on the, on the 28th, 22nd, 23rd, but then it's going to, it's going to come back and then hit your Venus again in August. And then we would also, you know, if you're reading for him, you would also say, oh, and then it's going to come back a third time but he didn't make it out of the second time, but you would, you would literally just be like, okay, so this same area of your life, your Mars, right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a little malefic. You want to be careful around this, right? Like the, you would have, you would have nailed those two dates and be like, you know, you really need to <laughs> be thoughtful about your activities. Well, if you're having a consultation with him after the first rebellion, like a week later, he would be like, well, you know, I sat down and had a nice lunch with Putin and he said, everything was forgiven and we're going to move on and let bygones be bygones. But you know, the Venus retrograde, literally part of what happens with the retrograde is you have the first hit of the transit, but then that Venus like does a U-turn, comes back and then activates that placement again. So that it sets up a sequence of events that are not finished. And sometimes that's how you know with a retrograde, if an event happens towards the beginning of it, that that's not the end of the story, that there's something still that is left unfinished until that retrograde is complete. 
which yeah. is good good advice for Venus retrogrades. Going to become relegate, relevant uh, in this forecast for the Mercury retrograde that's just beginning as we're recording this episode as well. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder though, just because like sometimes even when people aren't alive, their chart still gets lit up by transits. Like, is the third pass of that going to be some sort of revelation around that? Yeah, that's a great. That's a good point. I bet. I bet people will at least be talking about that. Like, something right. will come out, whether it's certain or not. So let's pay attention. We'll keep an eye out for that when Venus gets back to like um, thirteen or. Yeah, 14, 15 degrees of Leo, which will be about mid-September. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. All right. Like Wagner Wagner chiefs, emails, uh, secret emails, uh, you know, leaked, blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens. So let's see. Moving on in other news, uh, other Venus retrograde news or major news this summer, a really tragic one was the fires that occurred in Hawaii. Um, where there were some major fires on the island of Maui on August 8th, and these turned out to be the deadliest fires in the U.S. in more than a century, which killed at least 115 people and left um, around 388 others that are still missing. So the fires moved very quickly, and it was very unexpected, um, so much so that no emergency alarms ever even went off to like warn people. And this seemed to be very tied in with the Venus retrograde because on this day, Venus was retrograde at 23 degrees of Leo and it's squaring Uranus at 22 degrees of Taurus. So it was in that very um, unexpected, uh, surprising, tense relationship between Venus and Uranus that we had talked about as being one of the more difficult points of this retrograde in terms of the aspects that Venus would make. And it basically happened right when that was going exact. Um, so Let's see. Both of you had stuff you had a point you wanted to make about that, right? Yeah. I mean, I had a couple things. One was just like, even before Venus entered Leo, there was some something in me was just kind of like, oh boy, a summer where fire is emphasized, like, you know, lately, whenever that happens, it's just like, you know, mundane astrology. It's like record-breaking temperatures, wildfires. Um, and so I kind of just had like an intuition that, you know, beyond the interpersonal and relational things that this Venus retrograde might, we might be seeing a lot of this kind of stuff. And, you know, it hasn't just been Hawaii, it's been Greece, it's been Italy and Spain and Canada twice, it's been Algeria. Um, and, you know, um, one of the things that stood out to me too, is just like how you know, we're having this Venus-Jupiter square, this extended Venus-Jupiter square. Um, and it's normally like, you know, activation of the benefics, like we like that. Um, but there's, you know, there's an ugly side to that too, right? Like we're seeing kind of like Venus-Jupiter as this um, notion of like over-tourism in the face of tragedy and mass death. Like um, someone from Maui was, um, you know, recording a video talking about how, you know, there's people snorkeling in the water where there were dead bodies floating just the day prior. And so it's like this idea that like leisure and fun can't slow down to accommodate like people losing their homes. Right, right. And like what happens in the face of tragedy and like what the proper response is and and improper responses themselves being scandalous, uh, you know, because they're, it's, you know, viewed as distasteful. Yeah. And, you know, at, around that time, we also have Mars and Saturn pretty close to opposed. And 
Uh, Gianna Crest in the comments uh, made a, makes a really useful observation that um, <clears throat> Hawaii was having its Mars return in Virgo at that time. And so, you know, I was, uh, as you know, as I was looking at a lot of the things this month, like there's a lot of Venus retrograde, but the Mars opposite Saturn and, and making aspects to other planets was also pretty loud. Um, and one of the one of the things uh, that I was thinking about was while Venus is combust, right, literally on fire, um, we, you know, what you have is uh, Venus, Venus does not appear during the morning nor the evening. Right, like woe betide us, great Venus is gone. Um, and that um it what usually Venus plays this role of balancing Mars, right? If Mars burns things, um, Venus has a has a cooling, moisturizing property, right? Venus is like, oh, like you know, Venus Venus puts the salve uh on the wound or on the irritated skin. Um and um when Venus is in the underworld, right? Venus is not here handing out self, not um, not making things better. And that part of what was going on is just like, what is it like when Venus isn't here to help, right? When you have a, one of the two benefics out of commission, right? Much like we had Jupiter was more or less out of commission during 2020, right? And so there was it wasn't just that there were bad things happening. It's that the um, there was a, a real uh, a real question about what to do when there was uh, there was a lot of um, failure around trying to help or trying to fix the problem. Um, and as I understand it, um, there's uh, there was a lot of uh, mismanagement around the Maui fires, right? That there's just sort of no mercy, right? If Venus usually provides like mercy, like a silver lining, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, like without you know uh, being without without relief or or um, um, yeah, being without that Venusian balm, like what do things look like when there's no when there's no Venus to help? Yeah, for sure. Um, there was a there was an astrologer from Hawaii named Daisy Finch who sent me a write up about this to, to help me understand some of the astrology and what happened a little bit better. And I just wanted to read part of what she wrote uh, me. So she said. The fires started here on Maui on August 8th with Uranus at 22 degrees of Taurus applying to a square with Venus at 23 Leo. The moon was also passing through Taurus at the time and was conjunct Uranus around 1 p.m. So that's actually very important. It wasn't just the Venus-Uranus square, but the moon swooped in, hit Uranus, and activated that square, acting like a trigger in terms of the timing. So she said there was a wind advisory in effect that day, but Maui was a windy island, so it was a normal day for the most part. When I woke up, I got the news that the fire had started nearby in Kula. Um, as the day went on, a new fire started approximately every 30 minutes in different locations all over the island, and it was intense. Kula and Lahaina ended up having the fires with the most destruction. There were gusts of wind up to 67 miles per hour the day um, from Hurricane Dora, which was approximately 490 miles away from the Hawaiian island. It was considered a dry hurricane here in Maui because we got the wind, but no rain, which is very rare. There were no hurricane warnings in effect. And usually when a hurricane is that far away, it doesn't affect the island weather very much at all. She goes on and says, we started like a normal day. What started like a normal day ended up being one of the most tragic days in modern Hawaiian history. The Lahaina fire is the deadliest U.S. fire in 100 years. Approximately 2,200 structures were damaged, 2,170 acres burned, 4,000 people are in need of shelter. 
I wasn't expecting much from the Venus Uranus square, but it coincided with this shocking, unexpected event. In hindsight, things do line up astrologically just in ways that we wouldn't have imagined. Um, but wildfires seemed like a very fitting event for Uranus and Taurus. And during an event such as this, where people have to flee their homes or completely lose their homes and family, it becomes glaringly obvious what is of true value. Um, I always think of values and connection when it comes to Venus. For those of us surviving the fires in Maui, there's definitely a reassessment of the things we value. This seems very fitting during a Venus retrograde. And in the days following the events, I was contacted by every person in the world who cares about me, including family I hadn't been in touch with for years, past friends and lovers to see if I was okay. And every person on Maui here had the same experience. There were connections to people from the past, along with new connections that were unexpected that came as a result of the events, people in community coming together to help. Um, so I want to read that because I thought that was an interesting, subtle thing that maybe you wouldn't understand unless you were there actually experiencing it, but just in terms of the different layers of, of what's happening and how it might be tied in with the Venus retrograde in ways that aren't obvious at first if you're just seeing the headlines. Um, and I did want to mention also, um, I asked her what would be a good place to, to donate, and she mentioned um, donating to Maui Rapid Response, where 100% of the donations go directly to local families in need. So you can find out more information about that. Um, by just going to the website at MauiRapidResponse.org. All right, so that was um, one of the more challenging Venus retrograde things that happened. The last major news story that I wanted to make sure we mentioned is just a, a couple of days ago now, there was a, new, a story in the news where Japan dumped radioactive water from Fukushima into the sea. Um, and this I thought was very striking because it goes back to some of the things we've been talking about for the past several months of Saturn and Pisces and some of the weird stuff surrounding water. Um, so the quote from the Associated Press that I thought was interesting, it says, quote, Japan started releasing treated radioactive water from the wrecked Fukushima nuclear plant into the Pacific Ocean on Thursday, a polarizing move that prompted China to announce an immediate blanket ban on all aquatic products from Japan. So I thought this was super interesting. The sun was at zero degrees of Virgo, which means it just started the first opposition between the sun and Saturn and Pisces um, that will happen over the next few years as Saturn has, has recently ingressed into Pisces. So um, that was pretty striking. And I know, Austin, you've been talking a lot about like the water and, and pollution and other things coming up like we talked about in the last couple episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a theme, right? We've had the like the angry creatures of the ocean um last month uh you know august we there was a there was a a brutal shark attack that was caught on camera in egypt that made uh made the rounds um the and there there are uh, a dozen other small things but like the collective mind is just drawn towards the dangers of the sea um these days and yeah, there, there's also, I don't know, it's hard to tell how much is a YouTube hole and how much is astrology, um, but I just keep seeing more and more things about basically like looking at the food, the air, the water, et cetera, et cetera, like everything is poison, right? Everything is bad for you. Everything, you know, everything, oh, you know, like actually that's why I have this health problem. Everything is killing you. And that that seemed like such a such a fitting uh, such a, a fitting uh, 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 
such a fitting version of Saturn's, um, this is malefic, this is bad for you, this is poison, um, but with the universality of Pisces, right, especially with Neptune and Pisces, like, oh, like the poison isn't, you know, <laughs> uh, it isn't coming from this one thing, like it's in everything, it's invisible and it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah the... poison, poison and fear are classic Saturn things. Thank you, Vandana. For sure. Um, and you, Steph, you had something about Saturn-Neptune conjunction that you thought was interesting about that, since that's tied in with all of this. Yeah, I've been um, doing a little bit of digging into the Saturn-Neptune synodic cycle, and I found that it lines up pretty strikingly with just like the climate change phenomenon and like climate change entering um, mass um, mainstream consciousness. And so um, you know, basically like 1988, which was like right before the previous conjunction was widely considered a turning point in terms of just like the broader public paying attention to global warming. So like that was like the hottest summer on record at the time. And then like a scientist testified in front of Congress that he was 99% sure that global warming was happening. And so basically in 1989, um, at the exact conjunction, the UN established um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And so I just thought that that was, um, I, I feel like we're gonna be seeing more of that kind of thing with the Saturn-Neptune as well. Um, and basically like you can find like at the square, at the opposition, there were other big things happening. Like in um, 2015 during the closing square, um, Obama brought the US into the Paris Climate Agreement and then Trump withdrew from it a year later. Uh, 2006 at the opposition, Al Gore released an inconvenient truth. And then that was also the wow. year that China surpassed the U.S. as the largest carbon emitter. Mm -hmm. So it's it's pretty on the nose. Yeah, hmm. that's pretty compelling. So this is something, and this is just the very early stages of Saturn in Pisces building up to the conjunction with Neptune. So it's something mm -hmm. we would expect to see become intensified over the next three to four years as that conjunction gets closer and closer. Yeah. yeah, as a as a pivotal as a pivotal time for the human understanding and then response to, right? Right, because these yeah, are all human things, or right? lack thereof. So, yeah, no, that's absolutely yeah, lack thereof. But or saying nah is totally a response, right? Um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because I mean, probably what gets agreed to. Um, and established over the next, we've got almost five years left of Saturn-Neptune together. Um, good chance that'll just be what it's like for the next 36 years, right, until the next Saturn-Neptune conjunction. For sure, for sure. All right, so I'm sure we'll see more of that in the future, so we'll keep paying attention to the Saturn and Pisces news stories and Saturn-Contract-Neptune news stories. Um, the last one to mention was a few that are kind of like interconnected that we had on our list, but I think might be mentioned as a block. Like one of them, like one of the, um, we were talking about like the 11th house for some of the Libra risings and one of the like news stories I thought was very fascinating, just seeing different celebrities or seeing different people, depending on where, what house Venus went retrograde in your chart, we were seeing the topics of that house come up within the context of the Venus retrograde. One of the more fascinating ones, which is a very minor news story, but I just thought it was interesting, was um, the musician uh, Doja Cat, when Venus went retrograde in her 11th house, because she has Libra rising, so Leo is her 11th, she um, kind of like lashed out or pushed back at her fans and ended up alienating a bunch of her her hard hardcore fans um, 
and it led to a ton of people like unfollowing her because she said she like didn't want her fans or didn't need them or something like that what was you followed this right stuff yeah this was one of the stories that i picked out and then i heard um you and kira already discussed it a little bit um but i just thought that that was interesting because i think first what happened was um she was with this guy and people and he was controversial for some reason um i'm not really following it that closely so some of her fans were kind of like oh you shouldn't be with this guy and she was like don't tell me what to do and then i think there was like a second thing where her fan base wanted to like name themselves kittens which is just kind of funny for that like leo 11th house and right. i think she thought that was corny and didn't like it and um you know was basically like my fans don't call themselves kittens and then um someone was like but doja cat don't you love us and she was like i don't she, though because i don't even know y'all and yeah she, she was like no i don't even know you she was like she, i think she called some of her fans creepy um but yeah I, she said thing, they should get jobs she said if you're like hard <laughs> she said they should get jobs or something like that and that was the one that definitely really pissed off a lot of them and then you just yeah. saw like in the analytics there were just like thousands and thousands of people that were unfollowing her accounts because she was pissing yeah. off some of those like stan accounts that had like thousands yeah. of followers were were suspending their their accounts and and stopped like promoting her stuff yeah well one thing that i thought was kind of interesting is like you can actually see how like the south node in her first house is connected to this venus retrograde by rulership in the 11th because um she saw people unfollowing her as a good thing so she said like seeing all these people unfollow me makes me feel like I've defeated a large beast that's been holding me down for so long. And it feels like I can reconnect Venus retrograde with the people mm -hmm. who really matter and love me for who I am and not for who I was. I feel free. So I just thought that was um kind of an interesting example of that. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, she... pretty, that's pretty core Venus retrograde, like calling relationships. Like, no, these aren't, these aren't relationships that I want. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's still serving Venus. Like it's ultimately about wanting to feel connected. Yeah. Right. But the, the action is disconnecting in service of a, you know, of being more connected, right. The action is opposite, even though the goal is ultimately the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, Go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to say that I think it's kind of an interesting um, example of how like a Venus retrograde in the 11th house can bring up issues around like parasocial relationships, like people who think they know you, but don't. Or they think you're your friends. Well, that was the thing is that was why it was so fascinating to me from an astrological standpoint is like the, your fans, your fan base is the 11th house. And I think mm -hmm. that's really interesting just, you know, because we don't have like a text from like Vadius Valens that says like where your fan base is from the second century, but it just is an obvious extension, a modern context of what the 11th house means if that's where you would put fans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and also she has like a tight, like sun Uranus square and Uranus square, the ascendant. I think that's also part of it is like, she's just, mm -hmm. she doesn't want to be tied down and like put in a box. And I think that's one of the other things that was coming through in that statement that you, that you read. Yeah. And also like how she has her sun ascendant. And I think also her North node, like all at those late degrees of Libra. So like the South node is currently passing over those. Mm. Right. So this brings up um, something we I made a joke about on the last forecast, but I forgot to actually like mention and break down, which is one of the notable things when Venus stationed retrograde that we were all watching in horror was when Elon Musk did this rebranding of Twitter, where Twitter was this site that had just like this amazing amount of um, 
penetration into like the culture with like some of its its basic um functionality becoming like like keywords that everyone knows like retweet or to tweet something and those being like things that got into the dictionary um but for some reason when venus station retrograde in leo at the, in late july he decided to completely rebrand the site and call it x um so now it's like the social media site formerly known as twitter is, is now known as x and that was such a good example of something that happened live because rebranding is something that had been mentioned in previous Venus retrograde um, sort of episodes, but to see it happening on such a large scale with something that's become a household name and to see somebody completely jettison such an established brand name um, was really fascinating, albeit horrifying. Yeah, I feel like it's like the Axe body spray of social media now. <laughs> Axe, okay. <laughs> X. Right. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And I mentioned it because it was relevant also because um, you also have uh, Libra rising, right? So Venus is going retrograde in your 11th. And so yeah. that's something you've been thinking about in terms of some of this. Oh, for me? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't think I've been beefing too much with my fan base, thankfully, but um, no, um, no, I think for me, so Roughly eight years ago, I made my astrology uh, social media accounts in November of 2015. Um, That's perfect. That's perfect. Twitter, you know, I've held on for dear life, but I do think it's time to kind of like, you know, um, go elsewhere and maybe just start exploring other options for um, connecting to, you know, people who follow me and like sharing my content. So I'm part of my Venus retrograde story, I think is just kind of branching out and experimenting and like leaning into the Venus Uranus of it. Right. Like, I don't know which of these is going to stick necessarily, but I'm allowing myself just to kind of play. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of astrologers are having the same thing and it's like not clear where everyone's going. Um, but I like, like rats from a sinking ship, it seems like things are shifting. Um, so I think I'm, I'm because I'm doing so much video content, I'm experimenting with moving to TikTok. I know other people are moving to threads or Instagram or what have you, but it's interesting. And I'm mentioning it here because it's one of those generational shifts. Is if that does happen that we've seen happen before, like back in the day, Austin, you and I met through like MySpace, and I ran a pop around the biggest like astrology forum on MySpace back in the mid 2000s. But then there was a point in like, you know, 2008, 2009, where things shifted to Facebook like very dramatically and very quickly. And then all of a sudden, the locus of activity in terms of discussions in the astrological community shifted from really being on one site to being on another. We saw a similar shift with a lot of the younger millennials and Gen Z shifting to Twitter um, in the late 2010s and like 2016, 17, 18, 19, during that renaissance of like all these new people coming into the field, especially younger people. Um, but now it seems like we're at another one of those shifts where there's a question of where the locus of activity for the astrological community is going to be in, in the future. Yeah, it makes me curious about the astrology of the demise of MySpace. Mm. Right. Yeah, if we have a chart for MySpace or anything like that. Yeah, that would yeah, be no, worth we'll see, looking into. Right? Like we're very, it's, you know, Venus is still retrograde. Like we're not, we're uh, just past the halfway point with the, like the total time of Venus and Leo. Um, but it's, things are changing, but in what direction, right? Or where are they going? Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
Um, all right. So what time is it? We're at, we're at almost an hour. So we're doing perfect. Yeah. Is there any final things to mention for news or other retrospective things from the past month before we move on? I had one thing that I thought was really interesting uh, that I think we can connect to the Venus retrograde. Um, <clears throat> so after years and years in development, Baldur's Gate 3, which is a computer role-playing game, a D&D game, was finally released. And I'd been watching Baldur's Gate uh, for a while because I, I played the, the first one and two a million years ago. Um, <clears throat> and then this one was in beta and unfinished for years. And I was like, oh, it's just, it's never, it's not coming out and it's not going to be good. Like anything that's stuck in development hell this long can't possibly be good. And apparently it's the best thing ever. It's gotten extraordinary reviews, um, every, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This isn't the, the Venus retrograde part. I guess part of it is it's a surprise. Oh, actually, they were taking that time to make it good. Um, but the surprise is there's actually been massive criticism of it within the industry for being too good. Literally, developers are coming out and saying, this is setting the bar too high. You can't possibly expect this out of, <laughs> out of other developers. Um, it's unfair how much better this is than everything else. Like literally being angry about this and posting about it. Lots and lots of people uh, within the industry. And that is, that's some Venus retrograde shit. Like um, usually when something is so good, it gets praised, but it's, you know, we have, it's so good that it's making people feel bad. Right. right. <laughs> like that, look at, but, but, you know, like, um, but what do you, but look at, think about, you know, when you were developing this game, why didn't you think about how that would make me look in my development <laughs> company? Right. It's so funny. And it made me think, uh, it made me think about larger Saturn and Pisces themes, right? Cause one of the things that, uh, I went on and on about, um, uh, with Saturn and Pisces was that it's this time where we get really, uh, really high watermarks um, for culture and entertainment, especially around immersive fantasy worlds, right? So Baldur's Gate 3 absolutely, um, uh, you know, uh, checks that box. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people are calling it like, you know, once in a decade thing. Um, but uh, um, uh, uh, that that was connected to me with uh, what's going on with a lot of Hollywood outside of the stunning success of the Barbie movie. A lot of um, a lot of big properties are like Star Wars, um, <clears throat> Lucasfilm in general. A lot of things are not making the money they're supposed to. Um, and I, I it it clicked for me. And, and I was watching something that was talking about well, maybe the money will go to more independent creators um, that'll it'll that they allocate capital um, more efficiently than these like giant bloated studios. And like, you know, just seeing the, the, again, the industry in, um, in a variety of a multitude of crises, some of which, uh, are pinpointed by the strikes, but I was like, what if Saturn and Pisces makes good culture, um, by being a reckoning for the cultural producers that are not doing a good job? You know, I, I I just looked back at the Saturn Pisces points in time, be like, oh, well, there's good stuff here, right? And and again, um, <clears throat> another uh, Baldur's Great Gate 3 is apparently a high watermark for fantasy. Um, but I didn't think of it. I didn't think of the negative part of Saturn. I just said, well, I guess that happens. But it's interesting to think that it might be creating good culture um, by being Judgment Day. Uh, for for bad creation, right? Um, maybe less the carrot and more the stick, right? Both of which are motivating. For sure. That's really good. 
thoughts. I like that. And I'm sure we'll see a lot more of that come up over the next few, next few years. Yeah. I mean, the only thing better than more good stuff is less bad stuff. Right. And both together is, uh, is a godsend. That's true. That's good. I like that. That's a good synopsis. Um, all right, cool. Well, I think that's it for the news section. Oh yeah. I meant to mention, um, the astrologer from Maui named Daisy Finch. She sent me that excerpt earlier. Her website is blackpearlastrology.com. So thanks to her and shout out to her for sending that. I really appreciate it. Um, I had a couple other examples of Venus retrograde that I thought were kind of silly, but um, there's that one viral video that's going around that's satirizing like every Eurodance song from the 90s by um, a comedian. His name is Kyle Gordon, and I think it's called Planet of the Bass. Um, so I actually thought that was a good example of Venus retrograde because it's this callback to previous trends, but the lyrics themselves are completely nonsensical. Like it's just this total hodgepodge of aesthetic. And I thought it seemed to be specifically referencing pop culture from 1999. So like that was a previous Venus retrograde in Leo year. Yeah, um, it had a very 1999 feel. It did. Um, and there's this whole sequence where like the original um, woman, the Biljana, um, was replaced a couple times with like other women. But then in the official music video, like the original one comes back, she's resurrected. And she's depicted as this like beautiful space goddess who decides to descend into the human realm. And there's like this scene of her deciding to become the human, yes or no. So I just thought that was like mm -hmm. a little bit Inanna, mm -hmm. Inanna, um, yeah. coded yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other one, um, the reverse aging billionaire that's in the news lately, um, I think his name is Brian Johnson, who, mm -hmm. um, has been getting attention because he spends $2 million a year on his anti-aging regimen only to look exactly his age or older. Um, I just thought that was a little bit funny because he's got Sun and Saturn in Leo. So this is part of his own Venus retrograde. He's being worked by Venus retrograde and all of these people are kind of going like, man, like you're spending all this money to look younger and you look like you're 60, man. Right. What well, he's <laughs> doing like wild stuff, like taking his swapping sons, blood. Like he saw yeah he's taking like vials of his son's blood and like injecting himself with it so it's like yeah it's he's not just like you know i don't know wearing makeup or doing something minor it's like he really does not want to age and when you posted his chart like i laughed because mm -hmm. that was so perfect it was like a sun saturn conjunction in leo and yes. i you know because that's a thing that like aging is a thing for leo and sometimes the mm -hmm. the tension well of of aging well, I was well, just thinking about like the sun and Apollo, right? Apollo having the power of eternal youth and is immune to all disease. And his sun is at like 29 degrees. So he's got this God complex around like immortality and combusting his like debilitated Saturn, right? Like, I don't want to be old. I don't want to admit that I'm old. Right. Yeah. I So I've actually been following his stuff for a while. Um, and just, you know, to be fair, there are some cool things about it. Like he is making everything that he does, um, available to the public. Like he's like, I'm going to try what everybody says is going to be good for, you know, this, this, and this. And, um, it's all like, it's all open source. So if things work, like he's not trying to, you know, sell you the, the anti-aging packet for 99.99. Um, and he does look like shit. Um, but, uh, a lot of his health metrics, like the actual function of the organs and whatnot um, are really impressive. And um, 
just to go back to like the sun Saturn, the fear of aging, as I understand it, his story was that um, he was not only looking like shit, but seriously feeling like shit and extremely unhealthy, um, you know, in his early mid forties, um, but had made a bunch of money uh, doing tech something um, and decided that's what he wanted to do with it. And that he wanted to make it public service as much as possible. Mm, okay but yeah he does uh there's some sort of like lasering of the skin he does like all the time that makes the skin look terrible apparently it's good for something um i imagine it's different anyway um but yeah his yeah, stuff he is looks... interesting because he's documenting everything and he's giving like these are my statistics over this right. amount of time etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah yeah his skin looks translucent like a vampire and then he's like drinking his son's blood or whatever <laughs> What's interesting is other than his son's blood, I believe he's doing it on a vegan diet. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's well, an interesting exception to to veganism. Well, I don't know. He might have some good stuff. I haven't looked into it. I am not like snorting lines of his son's blood, uh, whatever. I mean, that, if he's selling it and it works. If it works, yeah. I mean, I guess if it if it'll take 10 years off, you might, you might as well. Um, but that is just an interesting topic because it's something we see come up sometimes with people that have Leo early arising, like like Trump, for example, and some of the stuff that he does in order to try to look, to alter his appearance or look better. And sometimes we associate Leo for that reason with things like vanity and stuff, but sometimes age comes in as a major component of that. And it's something that, that I think that sign or that archetype can wrestle with, especially. Yeah, I, I think Leo is um, naturally attached to like the vitality of being in one's prime, like the sun. Right for sure and trying to like maintain that as much as possible but sometimes the the inevitable fight against time that's like that's always a losing battle at some point isn't martha stewart a leo and then she just had those like um like bombshell photos drop of her looking like super good at like 80 uh, really i don't know i didn't i didn't see him i think she's a sun pluto and leo okay all right yeah. good times all right, I think that's good for news and announcements from the past month. Let's move on and talk about the forecast for September. Um, first, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor this month, which is the Chani app, which is the number one astrological app for self-discovery, mindfulness, and healing. It's designed to make astrology both accessible and useful. The app combines ancient astrological wisdom with meditation and mindfulness to help you foster your relationship with the sky and support your personal growth. From personalized readings to real-time updates on how the current astrology is affecting you, it features everything you need to navigate life's ups and downs. This includes detailed birth chart breakdowns, daily horoscopes, current sky horoscopes, transit readings, intel on the current moon phase and sign, weekly sign-specific audio readings by Chani Nicholas, a host of rituals and altar suggestions, year-ahead forecasts, and more. The Chani app is now available and free to download on iOS and Android. And you can also find out more information about it at ChaniNicholas.com. So what's really exciting about the app is that it's been out for like three years now on the iPhone and it's been just like crushing it. Um, but those of us who use Android phones have been waiting for an Android version forever. Chani finally delivered and um, answered our wishes and they have just in August released an Android version of the app, which you can find on the Google, Google Play Store now. So definitely check it out because 
one of the things, like I said, that's notable about it is it's literally the first app that I'm aware of, like major astrology app that will default the whole sign houses as its default house system. So it gives you interpretations and delineations essentially the same as how, how one of us would um, interpret a chart or, or what we look at when we're doing forecasts, which makes, which makes it very unique and kind of, um, yeah, something I highly recommend and endorse. Um, Austin, I think you would also like it because pro our approach is pretty much the same, is very similar to Chani's because we're part of that unique generation of astrologers that came up learning modern astrology, but then learned traditional and found a way to blend them. So it's kind of like a unique sort of approach to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also very uh, one that should be familiar to anybody who listens to the podcast re regularly. Yeah, I would also just say, you know, it's such a good... Um, it's such a good practice to have like an app like that and or an ephemeris, um, but to just check in with every day, um, be, you know, and seeing what's the same as yesterday and then what's very different. You know, that practice of being aware of the nature of time as it passes, as it passed away, right? Sometimes you might be like, uh, you might realize that like, oh, I really don't like it when the moon goes over my Mars every month, which was yesterday and yesterday was shitty again. Right. And then being, and then learning to look for, you know, learning to know what to look forward to what you like. Um, and that practice of just being aware of time rather than being, you know, being the fish in the ocean who doesn't have any observations about water. Right. But like, right. you know, time, time is that ocean. Um, and an app like that, or, you know, just a, a practice like that, which is easy to a nail to an app is so good for being aware of the the currents that push you here and there. Yeah, that's yeah. so cr crucial, because that's like the empirical component of astrology, where when you're learning astrology, you want to learn your birth chart and what the placements mean, but it's through seeing the activation of those placements with transits in real time, that's when you really come to understand what those placements mean in your life and what it's all mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Right, and I've actually, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's such a good um, resource, especially for beginners who are new to astrology, because now when someone asks me like, where can I go to like, learn more about my chart? I feel like there's this app that's like, I feel really comfortable pointing people to, because I know that it's good quality, but it's also accessible. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like, because most of the time with different ones, I have to be like, well, you could use this app, but then you need to change the set, the default settings to this, or, or just remember that it's going to give you delineations that are from like 40 or 50 years ago. So they're going to be kind of out of context, but it's like with this, no, it was written with contemporary approach with the same exact technical approach that I use. So it's something that's much easier to endorse. Just tell people to, to use it by default. Cool. All right. Well, um, people can check that out on the app store or on the Apple store. And um, yeah, shout out to Chani and thanks for sponsoring this episode. All right. So why don't we transition into talking about the forecast for September and the astrology of September? Um, I'm going to put the chart up for the beginning of the month so that we can kind of orient ourselves about where we're at and where we're starting here as we transition into the beginning of the month. So here's today, August 26th, the day we're recording this, and here is the chart for September 1st. So major things you need to know about going into the month that are kind of like precursors that happen just before the month opened um, is that Venus is finishing up the retrograde, um, and it will station direct very early in the month on September 3rd and 4th, but we're just coming off the tail end of that. 
Um, also recently, we had Uranus station at the very end of August at 23 degrees of Taurus on August 28th, 29th, and 30th. So we're coming in, you know, kind of hot off the tail on a, of a Uranus station. Um, and then finally, also, we're opening the month with Mercury having stationed retrograde at 21 degrees of Virgo on August 23rd and 24th so that Mercury is firmly retrograde when we open the month on September 1st. Are there any other like precursor things that are like things that were happening in late August that are kind of, that were coming into this month with the energy of? Well, Mars has just moved into Libra, right? It moves in at the, at the end of, uh, at the end of August, it'll still be a little bit fresh. Yeah, that's a really great point. So literally tomorrow from when we're recording this on the 26th, it's going to ingress on the 27th and it will only be at two degrees of Libra by, or three degrees of Libra by the time September 1st rolls around. So that's a huge shift getting out of that whole Mars and Virgo phase that we've been in for over a month now and moving into a, a month or so of Mars and Libra. All right. Um, so... Uh, where should we start? We've talked a lot about Venus retrograde. We do have, you know, our, our first major astrological thing that happens this month is that Venus stations retrograde on the third. It stations, or sorry, it stations direct. It ends its retrograde and stations direct at 12 degrees of Leo on September 3rd. And virtually at the same time, on the third and fourth, Jupiter is actually stationing retrograde at 15 degrees of Taurus. Um, and it's very pretty closely square Venus, and we see the moon actually swoop through the sign of Taurus on the third and fourth and conjoin Jupiter and um, square Venus at the same time. So one of the major things is like we literally open September with Venus stationing direct and ending that 40 days and 40 nights of the retrograde period, which I think is one of the most notable things about the early part of, of September and main signature. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a Venus stations less often than any planet except for Mars. Right. And so like there, there are two ways to look at it. One is now we are two thirds the way through the larger Venus retrograde cycle, which began in June. So we're beginning the last third, right? We've been, uh, we've, uh, Venus fell from the sky, did 40 days in the underworld and is now emerging to walk through the same terrain again, right? So it's the same issues, but having um, gained some depth, nuance, changed some things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's it as a phase, but then as a moment, right? Um, it's a reversal of motion. Um, and so these like turnabout or pivot moments um, often show you like they literally show things turning around like well it was going like this and then it finally turned around um and some of that will be done as <clears throat> i say regardless of what you're trying to do but then there's also you know when the venus retrograde cycle for you is very volitional where it's been about stuff that you've been doing and choices you've been making um you know it's a great time to to pivot right if things are sliding in a direction that you haven't liked, um, you know, to schedule a turnaround, right? I'm going to, um, you know, uh, yeah, um, that it's that energy of like, okay, let's, let's turn this around and start heading in another direction. That's a great point. Cause there, especially that Venus during the retrograde, 
is not just moving backwards, but oftentimes there's this looking backwards orientation to the past. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that's happening now is that period of looking back into the past is over. And now all of a sudden our gaze turns from looking behind us to looking forward into the future and starting to plan of what it's going to take to start moving forward into the future after whatever we've learned or gained from the past couple months of, of Venus being either retrograde or in its pre-retrograde shadow period. Yeah, the um the looking towards that, that's a, the difference in time orientation is really big there, right? The looking looking at the past or you know and with the Venus retro during the heart of the Venus retrograde phase, there's often such an intense present that it's hard to look at the future. Um, but that um, that direct station, which correlates with Venus, uh, obtaining some nice visibility in the morning. It's very forward looking, right? It's like, okay, so based on all the experience and the changes made, like, where are we going, right? And how do, how do we get there? And who am I, you know, if there've been, you know, significant change, internal changes, like, so who am I going forward, right? If I didn't want to be the person who was doing this, and I didn't like this, and I made these changes, but who am I going forward, right? Moving away from negating a negative to, okay, so now that we've negated uh, what we don't like, where are we headed? What are we moving towards, right? Yeah, especially after whatever choice was made during the retrograde, because I realized a lot of the retrograde for many people was making a choice about something. And um, now the implications of that choice or the consequences of that choice have to be assessed um, from the things that were made earlier in the summer. And that's one of the things I like about, in this instance, with Venus stationing direct, with that close square from Jupiter, which is overcoming it with reception from Taurus, is that it almost feels like a positive, for many people, sort of resolution to a lot of the retrograde drama or choices or looking back phase that happened that now we're not just starting to move forward and look forward to the future, but there's a sense of hope and optimism and maybe perhaps confirmation that for many people that whatever that choice was that was made, that you made the right choice or that at least you made the choice that was right for you. And now it's time to move forward. Yeah. When with, with Venus applying to go, sorry, go ahead stuff. No, say what you're going to say, then I'll, I'll follow you. Oh, I was just going to say with Venus, um, Venus's direct station has Venus applying to an aspect to Jupiter again. Um, and so even if the, you know, choices weren't ideal, right. But being able to see the positive, see the benefit, be like, oh, but you know, even so I can do this, this, and this, like the future holds these, you know, these opportunities or possibilities for growth, enhancement, enrichment, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I had kind of a similar read on things. Um, I just, I think like with the Jupiter thing, like that's actually one of the things that stood out to me about September in general. It's like the month of Jupiter coming through with the assist. It's overcoming Venus by square. It's overcoming Mercury by trine. It's overcoming the sun by trine. So even though like Jupiter is stationing retrograde, it's like doing all these good things for other planets. And Jupiter is actually like freshly in its own bound. So like, this is the first time since Jupiter entered Taurus that it's gained any amount of like essential dignity. Um, and so with like the Venus stationing direct, um, it feels so different than the way the Venus retrograde started, you know, like, I think obviously like everyone's mileage will vary, but I think this is kind of like showing that like a lot of us are going to be feeling pretty good about where things are. Um, 
you know, like there might be some sort of delayed gratification coming home to roost. There might be some sort of like reward for our trials. So I think even if it's not like a happy ending, quote unquote, I think kind of what you were saying, like we're going to be feeling pretty okay with where things landed. Yeah. Like yeah. this is workable. Like this is doable. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a path forward. Um, this is also the very first station of Jupiter in the sign of Taurus since it ingressed into that sign earlier this year. And that seems notable because, uh, you know, thinking back to June, the very first time Saturn stationed in Pisces after the ingress, that was super loud. And that was like the week of like the submarine thing, as well as other ocean disasters, as well as like different ocean aquatic animals, like attacking people. And I, th I think, you know, we might want to pay attention to Jupiter here for some very similarly loud um, significations and events in terms of what Jupiter and Taurus is all about. And one of the things um, that's unique about this is usually with Jupiter and Taurus, we think of like keywords like, you know, slow and steady growth uh, was something that Lisa mentioned to me recently. But with Jupiter stationing at 15, this is also the closest that it's going to get to the conjunction with Uranus all year, which is stationing almost simultaneously at 23 degrees of Taurus, which is putting an exclamation mark next to Uranus. So one of the things we have to think about and kind of grok when it comes to this is that we're talking about a Jupiter-Uranus conjunction in Taurus um, that's happening right now and some of the keywords that we might associate with that. Um, I know in the year ahead forecast, we talked about like, you know, Steve Jobs had a Jupiter-Uranus conjunction in the 11th house and that he released the Think Different ad campaign in like 1997 under a Jupiter-Uranus conjunction. Um, so things about like thinking different while also having like slow and steady growth of Taurus and somehow putting those keywords together. I call it like the galaxy brain aspect. Jupiter Uranus. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess I'm I, I was thinking more about Jupiter on its own and like what can Jupiter and Taurus provide um relative to what's needed. I, I think I would be looking for restoring stability, right? Or like limiting damage or providing some relief uh to some of the difficulties. Yeah, well, because that's one of the, and that was one of the things Steph mentioned with the like Jupiter coming through with the assist is like Jupiter's helping mm -hmm. out not just Venus, but the sun as it's moving through Virgo and especially Mercury. As Mercury is going retrograde through Virgo, we get two trines between Mercury and Jupiter this month. So even though we have a Mercury retrograde, which otherwise, you know, we're going to see, see some like tech issues, we're going to see some having to go back and revisit old written contracts and things like that. Um, you know, before we even started recording this episode, of course, Austin, you were having some microphone issues. We were just like, as astrologers, how literal can that be? Um, but I think it's going to be mitigated substantially by that Jupiter trine this month. Well, um, it's that, right. It's it, the Jupiter is a really key part of it, but everything in Virgo is also opposed by Saturn and Neptune. Right. And so we, you know, we really have like, this is the hard part and you have to do the hard part, but you do get help. Right. It's not that there aren't uh, like there are, you know, afflictions, right? There are specific difficulties or <laughs> uh, very encompassing, hard to pin down difficulties with Saturn and Neptune, but there's also help. Right. And th that and with Jupiter ruling Saturn, these are really tied together. Um, but with Mercury and the sun in Virgo, uh, most of the month and Mercury in Virgo all month, like we're really getting both of these. We're really getting both the Saturn and the Jupiter influence on the Virgo. Virgo is a site 
you know, where, where both are impacting. Jupiter is trying to stabilize and smooth out and, um, you know, make bountiful. Um, and Saturn is, you know, tying a lead weight um, to your leg and throwing in the ocean. Yeah. How, how are you seeing some of the like Jupiter coming through for the assist significations this month stuff? You mean like, what have I seen observed or what do no, I know? What about? did you, I just know you wrote that phrase in the notes. I was wondering how you see that manifesting in terms of Jupiter's role this month. Um, well, I think with the Venus retrograde, there's like a little bit of like, um, I've seen it as kind of one of the central dramas of like, you know, there was like the Venus Mars part, then there was like the Venus Uranus part, then there's like the Venus Jupiter of it. And I think that like the relationship between Jupiter and Venus feels a little bit like a sugar daddy spoiling, you know, Venus, right? Venus is being indulged, like her whims are being indulged. And like, uh, there's this theme of like taking it all in. And so, um, and like, what do we, do we feel worthy of so much goodness? Right. And so like, even though like Venus Uranus has kind of uh, created a lot of drama and instability in relationships, I think there's also this narrative around like wanting more and do I dare to want more? Who am I to have this much? Um, That's a great keyword, indulgent for like the Venus um, square Jupiter. Yeah. So I think right now we're seeing like the second of three squares with Venus still retrograde. So like it might be a little bit more internal crisis e around that like the kind of like oh like can i can i allow myself to like have this much or like want this much but then maybe by the time it goes direct it's more of a confirmation of it um mm. yeah, yeah that makes sense and, and also like what happens sometimes because there's like a positive side of that of just like um you know making it rain and and what is that when you're just blessed with like a, a sudden financial windfall or something like that and there's that side of the venus jupiter and then there's also like the reflection on what happens after you sort of like overindulge in something and how do you yeah. come out of that and find moderation yeah well i was thinking that it's kind of like showing us two faces to this theme of entitlement one is kind of like the the version we saw with like the over tourism but then there's also like you know, expanding your havingness levels if you lack a sense of entitlement to having good things happen. So, mm. um, yeah, I think right now it's like the Venus retrograde second square. It's like um, there's the internal crisis around deservingness or what feels pleasurable or satisfying. And then when Venus goes direct and Jupiter goes retrograde, I, the way I kind of see it is it's like, is this just empty hedonism or is it meaningful? I like that. And yeah, that's maybe interesting. leaving room to leave yourself open for abundance if that's something that's that's on the table at that time and and to just be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my super abbreviation of Venus Jupiter combinations is just the good life, right? And it brings up these questions of the good life, which could be hedonism, it could be mm. like a, a thoughtful, philosophical, platonic uh inquiry into what is the good life. Right. Is the good life, um, you know, endless vodka cranberries? Uh, is the <laughs> is the good life the the antithesis of that? Does the good life uh, involve vodka cranberry, um, et cetera, et cetera? But that like, you know, both benefics, right? It's like bo both the sensual as well as the spiritual and intellective good. Um, and how do those, which don't necessarily get along perfectly <laughs> in, you know, without 
without some some careful uh mixture mixture and filter um but yeah that 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 issue being raised makes a lot of sense and also the issue being raised amidst uh so was in the context of a question right because mercury's retrograde um mm -hmm. as we go into this and the, i think as venus um stops being retrograde and stops um being in such dramatic configurations i think mercury is really going to pull focus this month because yeah. it's sort of the primary like oh god you know what is there to figure out you know mm -hmm. it's the stub right. toe pulling pulling the attention of the month that actually almost confused me at first because it seems like we've been in this venus retrograde for so long and it in and of itself is bringing up so much looking back into the past like old things coming back energy for many people in many areas to have like a mercury retrograde now hit towards the tail end of that is weird to have a a doubling up or an extending of that but in a, in a slightly different way yeah it's a little frustrating right because you know you're looking at the venus retrograde and you're like okay it's going to be direct and then this stuff is going to be ready to move forward it's going to be less questioning and reconfiguring um but it's like no actually now it's a mercury retrograde and so we may have what is it, the song my heart will go on the heart may be ready to go on <laughs> um but the the brain is like yeah but how are we gonna like what what is the exact path for going on we need you know if we're gonna go on we're gonna need to figure out what to pack we're gonna need to figure out you know like there's all this mercury stuff and this is um you know being a mercury retrograde in a mercury ruled sign it means it sort of puts uh, all of the Mercury retrograde significations uh, on turbo, right? Because Mercury has the uh, Mercury has all the power necessary to reconfigure everything in the Mercury signs, right? It's not Mercury staying at somebody else's house, like rearranging their furniture. It's Mercury in their own house, right? And so, it, you know. It, there's a potential for really significant reconfigurations, but then the potential to um uh, to create chaos and disorganization is equally strong because mercury is strong and not inherently benefic especially mercury has access to the admin panel yeah 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 full full privileges yeah that that's yeah that's a brilliant way to describe a planet in its own sign well it could also be like happening in two completely different areas of life because they're they, they don't witness each other, right? Leo and Virgo. So like maybe your Leo house is like getting ready to move on, but like something mm -hmm. in the Virgo house is going down now. Right. Well, and uh, to sort of reverse uh, engineer what you were saying earlier, you were talking about Jupiter's effect on both Venus and Mercury. And we could also say that Jupiter is in a situation where it's being affected by both Venus and Mercury, right? If, Mercury, if Jupiter is trying to, you know, let's say Jupiter is your 10th. And so that's actually... Um, a lot of what's going on, like trying to um, trying to preserve stability and um, increase fecundity in the professional area. And Venus has been getting in the way of that. Now Mercury is bringing up questions about that. You know, uh, we have Jupiter having just dealt with a Venus retrograde and now moving into trying to uh, keep uh, trying to oversee the Jupiter or the Mercury retrograde so it doesn't get too chaotic. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Venus retrograde ending while Mercury retrograde is starting is like, to me, is the energy of like, okay, so we're going to get back together as a couple after being broken up or or something like that. Let's 
you know, look at the contract and what that's going to look like in the details and maybe work out some of the mm -hmm. details of that. It reminds me just like today, actually, there was this amazing, well, one, there was an amazing video that's going viral of this woman. I think she may be an astrologer, but of where she just gave birth and she's like lying in the hospital bed and she's already like looking at the chart on her phone and starting to delineate it of her kid. And it's like an amazing, like that's a true astrologer thing. But another astrologer posted um, a video in response to that where um, she right after she she got married at the ceremony there um after they were married in the actual ceremony they're signing the contract and she looks off and she taps her wrist to tell her friend to like note the time uh mm -hmm. which is a great like astro legendary astrologer move so that's um her name is Sheng on twitter and i just showed the video of that if people want to want to check it out um, so this is that it's like the Venus retrograde and then you get like the Mercury retrograde in Virgo and then it's like it's time to sign you know the marriage contract and, and to get the details down on paper in terms of the it's not all just you know marriage for example it's not just about the the love and the romantic part but there's also like this other business side of it where it's well, like you're you're merging your your finances and everything else well and the vows are like under what terms do we enter this union like, mm -hmm. what am I promising right what am I not promising yeah that watch right. tab pretty epic um some of us you know some of us have chris had chris brennan in the audience <laughs> yeah. in our wedding right. uh <laughs> very carefully noting the time uh, chris you had like you, like, you had like times for like different stages of the ceremony right um, yeah I yeah mean, chris got, is really got... the app you want but mm -hmm. uh not widely available the yeah, wedding scribe gonna... Yeah, it's good. It's going to yeah. cost you. I have to say, like I did that. That was a freebie for Austin. He's close, <laughs> close friend. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a that charges that costs a lot. Um, so talking about Mercury retrograde in Virgo, some of my keywords are like reviewing the details, uh, sweat the small stuff, and also having the trine with Jupiter at the same time. To me, it's like an analogy would be like going back and having an accountant review your old books and finances and finding out that you're due for like a large tax refund. That's kind of the energy of this Mercury retrograde trine Jupiter to me. Um, do either of you have other like analogies like that or like keywords for, for some of this? Yeah. Um, well, one thing I was thinking about was just like the way that Jupiter is stationing retrograde and how the way that I think about Jupiter retrograde is it's kind of like you're taking a break from the meal to digest, right? Because Jupiter's function is meaning making. And so pause is something that's naturally built into that because, you know, you have this external progress and growth, but then that slows down so you can integrate and make meaning out of what you've done. Um, and so with Mercury training Jupiter, you know, maybe there's this active component to Jupiter's meaning making, right? Because Mercury is kind of like the busy arm that's guided by Jupiter, right? It's not just like armchair contemplation. It's going through all your old notes and then reorganizing them in your Google Docs or something like that. For sure. I like that. That's really good. So with that Mercury retrograde, um, like I said, it's already started in early, uh, late August. So it's like for many people, whatever, if you're getting hit by like a typical Mercury retrograde, problems problems in communication delays that sort of mercurial chaos um already by the time we get to september 6th the sun conjoins uh mercury and we get the mercury kazemi so that's already the halfway point through the retrograde 
which is the part where there starts to be a turn and things start to turn around. And then after that point, you get the second half of the retrograde and the eventual resolution of some of the issues that were brought up at the beginning in late August. And so, something worth noting here is that the beginning of the month, closer to the beginning of the retrograde, is when we is when we have the first Mercury Jupiter connection, right? Which is like, oh, I'm reorganizing things. It's gonna be, you know, it's it's for the best, it's gonna be really good, da da da. Um, but then when Mercury gets deeper into the retrograde, passes the conjunction with the sun, um, Mercury creeps closer and closer to an opposition with Saturn. It's not a perfect opposition with Saturn, but the direct station, right? The like the point that that Mercury can move forward from. Um, is much more connected to Saturn. Um, and so there's a sobriety uh, to that analysis. Um, yeah. And then once it gets moving direct, then towards the end of the month, then we have um, another trying with Jupiter, right? So it's like, oh, now that I've confronted the somber truth about this and made whatever choices or reconfigurations, um, now I can move forward and, and you know get get some sort of win or benefit. Um, but there, you know, we have to go back to staring at Saturn with Mercury. And so it's like, yeah. it looks better than it's going to be at first. And then it looks pretty somber and then it looks good again. Um, but it has that, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Jupiter sequencing. Yeah. I liked your keywords, sober or sobering. That was something when I looked at the archetypal explorer.com graphs for this month that really came out in those graphs where it's like, you see the, um, peak of the first at the beginning of the month the mercury jupiter trine happening there around the fourth and then that drops off as mercury gets distance from jupiter and we see like right in the middle like mercury opposing saturn and that energy coming up even though it's not exact it still gets within an operative range of degrees and that sobering energy of the mercury retrograde especially when it's stationing direct and then eventually we get this like positive resolution that returns again, or this optimism and sort of hope type thing that occurs at the very end of the month around the 25th. Yeah. yeah and I, I feel like that last trend is just like a really good day for anything Mercury or just to like launch something. Totally. Yeah, yeah totally. I would take advantage of that Mercury Jupiter trine for sure. Yeah. It's something I've been saying uh, to people the last week or so. Um, like, um, you know, when people have been talking about like, oh, I'm not making as much progress on the thing as I thought I was and, or I was doing this and then this happened, you know, Venus retrograde stuff, Mercury getting ready to station stuff. Um, and in a lot of cases, I found myself saying that I think things will look great by the time Mercury's done with Virgo, right? It's a lot of Mercury and Virgo. And there's, you know, right now we're talking about managing the retrograde, which is always more confusing. But, um, you know, the good side of this is that Mercury does the entire, you know, does 22 out of the 30 degrees of Virgo all over again direct. And so that's so much getting shit together um, and getting shit done energy. When we look at Mercury and Virgo as like a two month thing rather than just the uh, the retrograde portion. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. Um, so really quickly, I need to, since Steph mentioned like launching stuff, that just reminded me that I wanted to mention our auspicious election for this month, um, where we actually had a lot of good charts. So it was kind of hard to decide what to go with and which one to use. Um, but 
and we ended up actually coming up with like four really core great charts on our auspicious elections podcast this month but in terms of deciding which one we wanted to really recommend we decided to recommend one earlier in the month as our main chart of the month and then we have some others later in the month that take it take advantage of that later mercury jupiter conjunction as well but the one i wanted to highlight for this month is this one which takes place on september 3rd 2023 around 9 55 p.m local time and whatever your city is just set the chart to about 9 55 and you should end up with a chart that gives you about 12 degrees of Taurus rising and that's kind of adjustable but we set it so it would be about 12 degrees of Taurus rising and try to adjust it so it's that in your location what you'll end up with is a chart with Taurus rising and the ruler of the ascendant is Venus which is down there in Leo stationing direct in that sign ending the retrograde period in a night chart because this is nine o'clock ten o'clock at night so the night chart so Venus is of the sect in favor it's in the fourth whole sign house and um we get some of that positive Jupiter energy with Jupiter stationing at the same time and overcoming Venus we put that Jupiter in the first house in order to fully take advantage of that Jupiter which is just improving the condition of Venus in the fourth house of the home the family the living situation and the private life um, and we also emphasize a little bit more by putting the moon in Taurus in the sign of her exaltation applying to both Venus as well as Jupiter so um this chart's primarily good as a like home and living situation and private life thing since it's so fourth house focused it would also be good for other types of venusian activities which are like creative and artistic endeavors or other things of that nature just because it has such a huge emphasis on venus as well as taurus um, we do also even though mercury is retrograde which is not ideal in terms of mercurial activities you still get some offsetting of that with mercury in that pretty close and almost exact trine with Jupiter from 15 degrees of Virgo to 15 degrees of Taurus so even though it may not be the best chart for sort of like communicative mercurial type things to do the retrograde um, it is a very good chart for chart for Venusian type creative activities if you're looking to do something of that sort especially with Venus and this is this is our auspicious election for the month so um yeah what kind of Venusian what what charts or what um types of activities do the two of you do for like Venusian type elections oh well I was just looking at that chart with the fourth house emphasis and thinking like that would be great for like a dinner party at home or something like that hmm. mm yeah for sure or like even like redecorating like redesigning your home redecorating um creating a a aesthetic a new aesthetic that's like much more engaging and sort of like exciting at home might be a good thing to do um I would be a little bit careful because it does have Saturn in a night chart in the 11th house I meant to mention mm -hmm. that so it's a little challenging for friends and groups but nonetheless could be really good for fourth house activities or things that take place at home yeah, so then for first house as well with an exalted moon there and with Jupiter there ruled by that Venus I what I see with that is like setting something um heavy and certain in motion right like oh you know I was if you're going to do like a lifestyle overhaul like well I've been meant I'm meant to get back on the diet and start doing this or you know I, I want to start meditating on you know at three o'clock in the afternoon you know whatever like a big sort of like something that you want to be very consistent at that's a first house thing like I want to be doing x regularly um like this chart is not fast um but it is certain in its direction 
Um, and there, there's a lot of stability with both the moon and Jupiter uh, in the first house in Taurus. Um, so yeah, something something like setting setting like my you know I'm going to be like this in September or like I'm going to do this for three months or something something that you want something you want that like slow but steady relentless quality for. Yeah, that's a really good like point. That. About I'm going to commit to doing my gua sha routine every night for my skincare. <laughs> skincare yeah. that would be a good one for sure um yeah or <laughs> yeah thinking back to our earlier thing if you're going to take the blood of any relatives like that might be a good good election yeah. for for doing that in order for your skincare or other routines um all right so that is one of i think 13 electional charts that we found for next month which we just released or we're about to release this weekend on our auspicious elections podcast where we find lucky dates for the month ahead. So you can find out more information about that at the astrologypodcast.com slash elections. All right. So we're talking a lot about the early part of the month at this point in the first week of the month. Um, but at some point we should talk about our first lunation, which is once we get into the second week of the month where, where a few things start happening. Um, the two main ones is that we have that new moon, which takes place um, at 22 degrees of Virgo, or 21, 22 degrees of Virgo on, on September 14th. And pretty much at the same time, Mercury is actually stationing direct at eight degrees of Virgo and ending its retrograde period um, in that same span of days. So we've got a pretty heavy concentration on Virgo here right in the very middle of the month. Yeah, yeah, I was um oh sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say that the new moon in Virgo and Mercury stationing direct seem kind of like almost part of the same event, right? It's just like one big reset for your Virgo house. Um like and one thing that I was thinking about too is how it's a new moon, but Mercury is going direct, right? So the solution and the answer that Mercury direct is bringing is kind of just the beginning, right? So the re the retrograde gave us like this re-engineering of something, but then that's just the setup for a new six month arc of development. Right. Six month in terms of this being a like, new moon that'll culminate yeah. six months later with the full moon in Virgo. Exactly. That's a really good point. So it's setting a foundation for the next six months here with, you know, not just the new moon, but Mercury stationing direct. And then it's it's kind of putting the focus also on that Mercury-Saturn opposition that Austin mentioned earlier and some of the sober practical thinking that's kind of involved and is necessary. Um, and I think about one of the keywords that came up earlier with Saturn was like fears. And right now, some of the fears are coming up with sometimes very literal things like the ocean or the waters or, or the fish or what have you with Pisces. Um, but this tension between the, the nebulousness of some things that we might fear in, in terms of having a fear of the nebulousness or the intangible with Saturn and Pisces, but then Mercury um, trying to ground that and look at the actual facts and the reality of what's actually happening to either dissuade or clarify like what fears are valid or or practical versus which fears are maybe being overblown or unnecessary yeah i think that's really good because we have we have um mercury opposing that saturn right so mercury trying to clarify get some data on the seemingly everywhere saturn and pisces fears and then we also have the sun and moon 
um, in an opposition with Neptune in Pisces, mm. um, which is, you know, uh, uh, equally, if not more um, confusing and diffuse, right? And so this is, you know, it's really like if we have these ongoing Saturn-Neptune issues, which we do and we will for years, um, you know, we have both the sun and moon and we have Mercury independently all lining up across to try to get clarity about it, um, right. figure out what to do. Um, and there is something, there is something a little, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go back to sober, somber about this, not only because of Mercury's configuration to Saturn, um, <clears throat> but that third decan of Virgo where the sun and moon can join, um, is um is also a particularly somber place sometimes it's a place of grieving it's a place of thinking of legacy um and you know as as a thing to do or a type of activity to focus on um it's a place of thinking of the consequences of consequences it's um that third decan of virgo is thinking three moves ahead in chess Right, like if I do this, then that leaves these next couple moves, and then those will leave these next couple moves. Um, it's a far, it's a far thinking place, and it, there's a certain coldness um, which is necessary for that clarity and thinking multiple steps ahead. Um, but it seems like a very useful point to to settle on during Mercury's direct station. And Steph, like you said, sort of setting a program for Virgo for the next while. Right. There's mm -hmm. not going to be a better time to figure out the Virgo area um, for yeah. quite some time. Yeah. And so, yeah, taking into account the, you know, the, the difficulties and pressures and settling on, uh, settling on a course, uh, how should we say, uh, a, uh, what is the word? Um, an evidence-based uh, way forward seems like a good move. Yeah. Yeah. And locating this, especially for each of us personally, in whatever the Virgo house in our chart, um, so that when we're talking about some of these Virgo energies, you can kind of locate that or geolocate that in your life by what house that coincides with, and that probably be in the area of focus for both the Mercury retrograde as well as this new moon on the 14th that we're talking about. Yeah. Something I think about sometimes too with that last decan of Virgo is how it kind of feels like the night crew cleaning up for the morning crew and like doing a good enough job that like they don't have to like, you know, uh, overcompensate for what they missed in some mm -hmm. ways. Like, yeah, bringing things yeah. like actually finishing everything, not just like mm -hmm. bugging out because the shift's over. Yeah. Right. And with this this new moon, this new moon opposite Neptune, it was something that made me think of when you were, both of you were talking and what you were saying, Austin, was like, what is it going to be like when Neptune leaves Pisces? And will we ever get it almost feel, you know, because Virgo, every time we have major stuff happening in Virgo, we have the normal earthy, mercurial, like practical and grounded keywords that we often associate with that. But then over the past several years, we're just constantly dealing with this tension from Neptune and the the nebulousness and just almost like opposite energy that that's bringing to all of that, which is sort of confusing things. And, and it feels it's like, will we ever get back to sort of making Virgo Virgo again at some point? Are we are we Virgo's almost been there? trying so hard? Uh, yeah, they've been <laughs> holding it together Virgo very well, I have to say. For sure. I don't think I'm, I'm not going to know what to do when it's gone. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. you, it's like maybe they'll. I mean, one of the things hopefully is they'll emerge uh, emerge as much more creative, um, 
flexible, which they already are, but um, maybe not just focused on practical things, but open to sort of receiving inspiration and, and other sort of creative things more, maybe, which is more of the Pisces and Neptune traits. Or, or in some cases, it'll probably be a glorious return to order where things can finally um, be as you would arrange them rather than, you know, getting um, getting constantly uh, rearranged by psychedelic tsunamis. You know, just the, the, the fucking Neptune just washing in and changing everything. It's like, no, I just would like, I would just like the couch to not be upside down and floating. Can we just have a little order? Yeah, I like that. Um, all right. So that's good with the new moon. There's other action that's happening pretty closely immediately after that in the next few days, um, where especially on the 17th, there's a couple things that are really important. One, Venus completes the final square with Jupiter from 15 degrees of Leo to 15 degrees of Taurus on September 17th. And one of the things that I noticed actually looking at um, um, the sky is that um, Venus is actually going to reach maximum brightness on September 17th in terms of its distance from the sun and just in terms of now that it's emerged um, in the sky as a morning star again, it's going to reach peak brilliance right in the middle of September. And That's I think a I, good I thought it was, one. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was weird that it happens right at the same time as it's squaring Jupiter. Seems pretty good. Yeah. yeah I was also pretty, thinking about awesome. like Venus Jupiter as being like an upgrade of some kind. Like um, I had a friend who I think her partner has like some sort of like platinum rewards membership and they just got this hotel room that's like the size of their house. And it's just like, what am I doing in a hotel room that's the size of my house? So like that feels very Venus Jupiter to me. For you sure. Ask yourself. What? Nothing. I was just thinking of the old talking head song. They're like, you may ask yourself, like, well, oh, how yeah. did I get, you know, <laughs> what, why am I in this beautiful hotel room? <laughs> this is not my beautiful hotel room. Yeah. 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 Um, so my keyword for that day is like emerging from the underworld and reclaiming your brilliance or reca reclaiming your throne in the same way that Anana did at the end of the, or at that point in the Anana myth where she emerges from the underworld, she finds her annoying partner who's stolen her throne and she banishes him to the underworld and then like reclaims things or in the way that things happen like that towards the end of the Barbie movie. That's that's that phase that where we're at in the middle of September. Yeah, it's definitely the moment to look for like triumph. It's triumphant moments, right? And a return to grace or a return to a return to one's throne. Um, for sure. Yeah, I could also see it like also just being like a month where there's like so many things to go to that like you're looking forward to but it's just like it's a square right so like life is just moving too fast for your wallet right it's like oh like my favorite artist on tour and like oh there's a birthday party and like I don't know what a wedding and like you know there's just like so much at the buffet and like you're trying to like overextend yourself to to take it all in as much as you can yeah and Venus Jupiter can be spendy yeah I felt that in June <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Overspending or spending lavishly or sometimes enjoying the finer finer things, even if it requires uh, extra extra expenses. All right. Like goat cheese with black truffles shaved into them. Right. And caviar. 
Uh, all right. So moving forward in the next few days after that, um, the sun the sun does different stuff. We don't usually note sort of a lot of sun aspects here, but maybe we should occasionally on some of the dailies. But I was just noticing that the sun on September 18th and 19th opposes Neptune, um, which is kind of a, a nebulousness um, in that couple day time frame. And then shortly after that, a few days later on September 22nd and 23rd, it ingresses into the sign of Libra. So we get our Libra ingress. Virgo season is over. Libra season begins for one month. Um, and basically immediately after that, on the 24th, we get that second and final Mercury-Jupiter trine from the 14th degree of Virgo to 14 degrees of Taurus. Um, so there's a lot of relatively big and positive shifts taking place at this time around September 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Yeah, so we'll be seeing a lot of the the results of that the, that Mercury retrograde cycle. The like, okay, so I rooted out the problems, and now this is now they're not here anymore, or now that now things are working better. You know, you're seeing the the benefits um, or relief um, <clears throat> from the work done. Excuse me, during the retrograde portion of Mercury's cycle, which is nice. Like we're getting more towards the 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 outcomes phase with Mercury retrograde. And we're yeah. also in the the outcomes phase of the of the the larger Venus cycle. Venus hasn't left the shadow of the retrograde yet, but has made a lot of progress. Is bright in the sky. <laughs> Had the the third uh, the third connection to Jupiter. You know <clears throat> things are established, and there's a little bit left, but mostly we're seeing the outcomes. We're seeing really the results of this both the Mercury, the shorter Mercury cycle, and the longer Venus cycle by the end of the month. For sure. So this is the, now that you did the hard audit earlier in the month during the retrograde and the Mercury-Saturn opposition, now the, you know, big financial bonus or the, the tax return comes back in your favor or something like that? Yeah, or you find out that you're not getting audited. Praise God. Mm, right, that the initial fears surrounding something that were kicked up earlier in the month in the retrograde turn out to be um, much more positive and beneficial than you thought. That's good. That's good. Okay. Um, this is bringing us later. I know it's very late in the month, but we should probably jump forward to our second lunation of the month, um, which is a full moon in the sign of Aries, which takes place um, early on September 29th or technically in some time zone it's it'll be late on september 28th so it's a full moon at five degrees of aries um what's going on here and what do we see in this chart that's relevant in terms of the imprint or the signature of this full moon um for me like it kind of reads as like this anticlimactic climax so it's like oh it's the season finale but it's kind of like a hmm right? Because it's it's not quite an eclipse. It's not an eclipse, but it's ruled by Mars and Libra applying to the south node. Um, and so like both like the sun and Libra and Mars and Libra, right? It's like there's this like individualistic impulse that might be tempered by compromise or sacrifice of some kind. Um, you know, maybe for now, right? Because like the next lunation in Aries is going to be an eclipse. Um, but this looks like, you know, you're trying to sever yourself, but it's not a clean cut. Like the blade is dulled for some reason. Yeah. They, um, with, with this one being ruled by, sorry, something just 
something just floated into my mouth. Um, sorry. Um, yeah, this really, uh, it's funny. It brings, uh, brings up the, the sort of underlying irritations that Mars has been providing in Libra all month. You know, Mars not really, uh, not really aspecting much this month, just being co-present with the South node for most of the month, but like not, not really like having a loose sextile to Venus, but not really fucking with the other planets. It's just sort of like Mars is going to be like half gone, but then you'll hear some passive aggressive grumbles from time to time for a lot of the month. But once we get the sun's ingress into Libra, where now it's in the same sign as the sun, and then we have a full moon ruled by that Mars and that Mars uh, south node conjunction isn't 25 degrees away but is actually narrowing down to five or six uh we're really gonna see that and you know where the whatever like irritations whatever like compromises are still not getting made right because with we have this venus direct venus is feeling good um but um we still have this this sort of relational work to do in libra you know the other this venus ruled area and uh, although Venus and Leo may might feel one might feel good about themselves and be like, I'm really happy with who I am. I went through a lot, but then getting that to work in relationship to people is not the same thing as getting it to work in relationship to yourself. And so, you know, we have Mars there as a fly in the ointment of like finding a balance. Um, and that really, I would say we kind of get the peak of whatever problems Mars has created in that Venus ruled area right on that full moon where like the frustrations um the, the frustrations uh may overflow and I'll, just a little bit about like the mars k2 or mars south node mars south node together Mar mars has a, a, a willingness to be to separate and to be like yeah fuck this i don't i don't want to relate like i don't want to do this and the south node is very much about deep negation and just letting go of things and um, not trying anymore and so together they're they're very purgy um and so um yeah that, and so with that energy ruling and opposed to the full moon like there's definitely there's like another there's going to be i think a late round of um some of these relationships like maybe like you know the the celebrity ones and the non-celebrity ones where it's like oh i don't know can we like are we getting divorced are we not getting divorced oh venus is direct and now it's conjunction or uh aspecting jupiter maybe we can do this that mars k2 ruling the full moon is going to be like actually fuck this there's no way to reconcile this or bring bring balance to or harmony to this that's a great point because Venus is still in her shadow all the way until October 7th. So it's like we're not fully out of Venus retrograde territory, even though the most intense part of it ends on September 3rd once Venus stations direct. She's still like retracing her steps from earlier in the summer all the way until October 7th, including this part at this full moon that we're talking about where Venus has only made it to like 22-ish degrees um, at that time. Well, and also it's the last uh, square to Uranus on the same day, right? Those two oh, things are yeah, coinciding. Yeah. Wow. So that was actually the thing that caught my eye, right? Like Venus is now ruled by sun and fall and the moon is ruled by Mars in its detriment, right? So it's like both of these mm -hmm. things kind of coinciding feel a little bit like I want to like cause a scene, but like I have to like keep it like, you know, under wraps for some reason. Like, yeah, the two most like fiery planets in the sky are being constrained by like social etiquette right 
Yeah, I don't yeah. know that this one's going to be that um, constrained by etiquette. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's maybe where things that have been constrained by desire for harmony, peace, balance um, overflow. Mm. Like not, not not saying that that desire, like that's not part of it, but I think it's the, the, this will be a point where if things are going to boil over, uh, it'll be around the, uh, the moon's time in Aries, the very end of the month. I don't love it. Yeah. yeah. And the day after the moon then will oppose Mars from Aries. So that's a yeah. whole, like you were saying, as the moon is going through Aries on the 28th, 29th, 30th, that's the time frame for this and the activation of that. I think you used the word passive aggressive Mars earlier in the month. What are some other, last month we were talking about like, like editing, for example, I said Mars in Virgo is good for like an editor who's like cutting things out of a text and paying attention to the fine details what are some good keywords for mars in libra that you both of you think of when you think of that placement playing politics mm, like, playing politics like having to play the game right that's a like bill clinton is a famous mars venus neptune conjunction in libra on the ascendant and he was supposed jupiter to be too. jupiter right and he was supposed to that was supposed to be his thing he was very good at that and very personable i guess but good no knew how to play the game or play the politics right and you see when mars is as you say efficacious in libra it doesn't look like mars right you never saw bill clinton angry right it's not that he was never angry but it was like yeah fuck those people like you know but <laughs> but like smile 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 um, right like you were saying stuff like playing the game um the uh, I always think of the when with Mars and Libra, I always think of the the phrase uh, a charm offensive, right? Mm. Kill them with kindness, and all of this sort of fits into or intersects with passive aggression, right? <laughs> when Mars is being effectively martial, it's it's using Venus's tools, and then from a like strictly martial perspective, um, it's being constrained and be like, oh, but I'm angry or I. You know, uh, I we're, I'm in a fight, but I have to pretend that I'm not in a fight. I hate this, right? That reminds me of the phrase that sometimes used, like especially some people use it, especially maybe in the South. But it's like, "Oh, bless your heart." And mm -hmm. I just looked up a definition of it. And it says on Wikipedia, the phrase has multiple meanings and is used to express genuine sympathy, but sometimes is an insult that conveys condescension, derision, or contempt. Um, and I think it's funny, like conveying insult or derision or contempt for somebody, but doing it in a way that appears the opposite, that appears like it's a compliment or something. Mm. Yeah, we're expressing sympathy. Yeah, I mean, I have relatives that say that. They, um, yeah, it's it's that's a good one because it's ambivalent. Right. Right. Because it's, it's like, yeah. oh, you know, oh, bless his heart. Right. Which means like, oh, you know, this person could use a blessing. Right. Maybe implication because you know, um, they're foolish and benighted, right? Or maybe, you know, maybe, you know, yeah, it's it's nicely ambivalent. You can't get caught doing it. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, and then <clears throat> you mentioned politici politicians were mentioned and also like ones that are like smooth or, or do things like that in a way that's smooth, which reminded me of another famous like Sun-Mars conjunction. So that's part of, part of what we're talking about is um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has Sun, Mars, and Mercury, and the Midheaven all in Libra in the 11th hole sign house. And, you know, one of the things over the past few years that's been entertaining sometimes is just seeing her engage in, and which is some of the these sick burns on Twitter of different, like, opponents 
um, and that she often has a very sharp um, ability to to be very sharp and pinpoint um, like a weakness and and to focus in on that, but to say it in an almost very like eloquent way is one of the things I've sort of seen with that. I don't know if that's the right way to articulate that. How do you have you seen that? Or do you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah, it's like she's uh, there's kind of like an aesthetic flair to the Marshall like sick burn, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's what I think of. Like an I think artistry of, to uh, it. Yeah. An artist. Yeah, an artistry to yeah. um, you know, insulting somebody or pointing out that somebody's doing something stupid. Uh, the artistry of the sick burn. That's a good Mars in in Libra keyword. Yeah, one another thing I wonder um with the Mars in Libra if this there will be if this will be like the complicating factor in another round of maybe peace or maybe truce talks um, in Ukraine. Because mm. there's there's a whole, you know, the, a season of warfare is drawing to a close. Um, and, you know, the pattern of warfare is there, there are seasons of warfare. And then there's like, do you give? No, do you give? Well, we would give under these circumstances. And... <clears throat> regardless of whether it's successful, there'll be another round of maybe talks. And so it'd be interesting to see Mars and also the, it's Mars and Mars um, tracks very well with ongoing conflicts. So it'll be interesting to see um, how the Mars shows up there, especially the full moon. It might be like, there may be stories about getting closer to maybe reaching an agreement and then full moon, you know, back to, uh, back to cluster bombs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely saw as we were expecting some major stuff happening with Russia, with the rebellion, and now the other side of that, and this death slash possible assassination um, because of the Venus retrograde going all the way back to like 1991 and the fall of the Soviet Union and the creation of the modern Russian state around the time of some of those previous Venus oh, retrogrades. And, and the, the birth of Ukraine under a Venus retrograde in Leo. Yes, that's what I was just about to say, because um, that's the other side of it, which we haven't seen yet, is we were expecting this summer to be a major turning point for that because Ukraine was born during that summer with Venus retrograde in Leo. So that's a good point that there may be continued developments there that we should pay attention to. I, I, I'm, yeah, I don't want to go on about it, but I, I'm very interested in what happens this fall. For sure, for sure. Um there also hasn't been as much LGBTQ stuff as I was expecting as there was eight years ago, aside from being negative pushback stuff. And I'm still wondering if there won't be more um, developments in terms of that, or that's something I'm still keeping an eye out for. That seemed to be I... primarily during the the, the Venus-Mars period, uh, where Venus was like warming up for the retrograde and Mars was uh, right there with her. Um, that seemed to be really the the... the the height of that for sure for sure all right um so that's bringing us to the very end of the month let me see if there's anything else we meant to mention full moon venus last square uranus um no that i mean that's really it because that brings us to the 29th and 30th which is the very very end of the month um yeah that is um that is some scalding tea unleashed on the last few days of the month <laughs> Yeah, full moon opposite Mars, Venus square Uranus. Um, you know, the Venus square Uranus was the signature we were talking about earlier with the fires in Hawaii for some reason. So, um, let's mention just any other keywords for Venus square Uranus. It's like unexpected disruptions in relationships, 
um, unique developments and relationships, thinking outside of the box, doing something unconventional in terms of romance? Uh, what are some other keywords there? Breaking into new genres. Mm, that's a good one. Well, and it's worth noting that this will be the third square. So this this will be like the repetition or coming back to a like, you know, stepping outside of the box and thinking about relationships or dealing with um, like, a, you know, a, a jarring and chaotic thing that affected relationships or, or a genre change or whatever that's been ongoing since June. Right. So this is the last hit of that. So this is uh, so in a sense, it's not uh, it robs Uranus of the it's completely novel because it's a completely novel thing that you've been thinking about for a while. Mm -hmm. Right. Or it's a totally new thing that you've been trying to adjust to or figure out the right way to adjust to for a while now. Yeah. Or maybe it's like earlier in the summer, it's like you tried something new and different then Venus went retrograde and squared Uranus the second time went retrograde and maybe it didn't go very well or maybe there was something that was disruptive or upsetting about it but then maybe you revisited a third time and this third time is the charm where you're able to integrate something that's new and different into your routine or your relationship or whatever part of the chart this is hitting for you and the third time you're able to find a more successful way to, to integrate that. Yeah, like maybe, oh, I was contemplating a new look, and then during the retrograde station or during the retrograde portion, I started wearing only hot pink uh, every single day, and now that we're on the third Venus Uranus, I'm going to only wear hot pink head to toe on Fridays, right? Like it's it's a, you know, a maturation of whatever experimentation. For sure. That would make a lot of sense for, for Leo Risings. Um yeah, I've seen some interesting like makeovers and changes of appearance during this Venus retrograde through people's first house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts? Were you going to say something, Steph? Oh, no, I was just going to add, like, I feel like if you didn't pull the trigger before, like the third Venus Uranus aspect might be when you do it. Yeah, well, some people might have been like waiting and carefully crafting, you know, mm -hmm. their their you know whatever the their Uranian surprise or changes. They've gotten all of the data, right? Venus direct, uh, Venus retrograde, and then one more time, and like now it's ready. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. And then um, since it was one of the keywords that came up at the beginning, to reiterate, since it might be relevant, then again at the end of the month. Um, that thing about it being, you know, that Elvest on Instagram said, quote, the summer of women, women causing, causing economic earthquakes um, and something about that archetypally. And there might be a variation or a way that we could rework that that would be more broadly ap applicable. But it, I think that would be relevant again in that Venus Uranus square and that full moon at the end of the month. Hmm. All right. Well, my friends, uh, this was amazing. I want to keep talking to you two all day, and I think we could if we wanted to, but I'm going to uh, cut it off and say this was a great forecast. Um, thank you both for joining me. Steph, thanks so much for joining us again. This was yeah, really great. Thanks it was so great much having for having me insights. back. Yeah. Always yeah. a pleasure. So you, over the past year, have been doing astrology uh, like, like crazy, and your business is ramped up and everything else. And what do you have going on and where can people find out more information about your work and what's coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's my website, which is ladykazimi.com. I'm currently on Instagram, Twitter, and newly Substack as Lady Kazimi, right? That was part of the thing I mentioned. I'm like working on branching out into other platforms. 
um, you know, I'm taking clients as I usually do. Um, I was doing a Venus retrograde reading special over the summer. That's been very fun and very illuminating. And I decided to keep that open through the end of September, just for people who want to like process. Um, I will be presenting at the NCGR meeting panel on the astrology of the future on September 29th. That's, um, you know, we're going to be doing a series on the astrology of the 2020s. And then I'm also getting ready to offer, I haven't given it a name yet, but I'm calling it like my deluxe client offering, right? So just kind of teasing that now, like it's going to be available at the end of the month, but um, I want to do, it's not quite coaching, it's not quite mentorship, but basically I want to take on four clients and like get as deep and intimate with their astrology as I am with mine, right? So like, like, you know, being so knowledgeable about someone's like ups and downs that I can like guide them to the same level of granular detail that I do in my own life. That's brilliant. I love that idea. That's yeah. that fits very well with the Venus Jupiter stuff we were talking about, deluxe client offerings. And also just because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we normally with clients, a normal astrology session is just like a quick like hour and there's only so much you can get into in that time. You really often exactly. need more, more time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like having okay. a lawyer on retainer. Yeah. It's a little bit of like a retainer thing, except I feel like there needs to be some limits for, you know, but yeah. Right. You don't want people like tattooing your name, like on them or something <laughs> like that. Like it's not, not quite yeah. that level level. Of or like calling me at 3am, like help. I can't right. schedule this hair appointment without you. Um. For sure. For sure. But that's a great idea. So, okay. So you'll have that up at the end of August or end of September. End of September. Perfect. Okay. Just in time for all those aspects. All right. Awesome. And your website is ladykazimi.com. Exactly. Cool. All right. Um, Austin, what do you have going on? Well, um, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to reopen enrollment uh, for a limited number of people for the year one program in the middle of the month. It's going to be only people who are already on the wait list. Um, if you want to get on the wait list, you can sign up on the website. Um, and I'm going to be doing another much larger in uh, um, uh, open enrollment um, in December. This one's got to be small. I can't um, flood the program. Um, for those of you who have been waiting and are on the wait list, I'll be doing one right around Mercury Direct. Um, and then through Sphere and Sundry, that's kind of exciting. Uh, Sphere and Sundry is going to be releasing <clears throat> a Saturn and Aquarius series uh, that we grabbed before it left. Um, I waited, electionally, I waited until Saturn was maximum distance from the Uranus square because I don't like, I don't like chaos in my order. <laughs> um, and it turned out really beautifully. It's a nice Saturn, uh, nice Saturn Aquarius. It's got, I feel like I should describe it like a winter fresh gum commercial. It's like the, like the cold flowers of deep time. Like it's got Whoa. like a beautiful mm. sort of crystal and structure energy. And I know not everyone misses Saturn and Aquarius, right. but a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, so much easier to be disciplined. Yes, I was, yes, it was kind of cold, but it wasn't just this Saturn and Pisces mush everywhere. Like I knew, <laughs> I knew the difference between inside and outside. Um, and it was nice right. when the seas, the seas were not trying to kill us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, this has, this, um, this had, this was, de uh, designed and came out with sort of a really nice, like the, the imagery was really like that, that crystalline clarity of winter. Where it's like, yes, it's cold outside, but like everything is like perfectly still and clear and you can hear um, with great clarity. Anyway, so that'll be out by the end of the month. Um, That's beautiful. 
I, I, I think so. I think it's going to be really nice. I'm excited for this one. Um, and of course, the, the, the Saturn as the malefic is dignified with a conjunction to Venus, right? Not great for Venus. It's not a Venus series, but it helps make Saturn like work a little bit better. So super dignified Saturn with help from Venus. I'm Brilliant. For it. Uh, what are your website URLs? So um, classes and um, recorded things that you can buy from me are at austincopic.com and <clears throat> look for the winter wonderland of Saturn and Aquarius um, announcements probably middle or soon and then out by the end of the month at spherensuntry.com. Nice. Brilliant. All right. I'll, I'll put links to both your websites in the description below this video or on the podcast website. Um, so as for myself, I'm working on an episode on Mayan astrology, which will be available for early access through Patreon as soon as I get it recorded. Um, I'm starting to release extended show notes through Patreon at the very basic Patreon tier where I release a PDF that has a detailed outline of each of the episodes, as well as all of the research notes that I wrote when I was preparing for it. For example, with the Anana episode, there was a ton of research that I had in the notes that didn't even make it into the episode just due to time constraints. So I included that in the PDF that I released to patrons for that episode, which is a nice new bonus for people that sign up on Patreon to support the podcast each month. Um, in other news, Rob Bailey and I just recorded a new fifth lecture for the Horary Astrology course that we've been expanding and revising, and we're going to add that to the course now. We've got five more lectures to go that we're going to be recording each month over the course of the next year, and if people sign up now, they can get into the course before we raise the price once we actually finish revising everything, if you get in while we're still recording it now. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And then finally, um, uh, do the aforementioned like Twitter imploding and uh, escaping that to find new ground. I'm uh, starting to post more on TikTok because I already do video content and starting to post short little clips of like observations or things that have come up in different episodes or even just clips of highlights of different episodes on TikTok as well as on Instagram. So if you want to check that out, you can find me on both social media platforms uh, by just searching at the astrology podcast and you'll find me there. All right. Um, thank you both for joining me. This is amazing. I had such a good time doing this forecast. Um, we will have to do this again sometime and we'll be back again next month to talk about the astrology of October. So thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the astrology podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, 
and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, sinistry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. Mm-hmm.